the rain has stopped. The sun came out. What a beautiful day to take my family out to the mall. Then we split up. My wife takes Sean to get some shoes for his feet, and that's really sweet. But I got Jason. I got Jason. Oh wait, no, where did he go? He was standing right here. My wife's gonna kill me, Jason. Where did he go? You got me searching high and low. My heart is racing. Press X to Jason. I'm walking around. Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you for tuning in to the 18th episode of the show. This week, my guest is from a very different side of the games industry to my usual guests. One you might not know too much about unless you actually work within an aspect of the industry. My guest started on his games industry path working for a company called Creative. At Creative, he helped to distribute games to various retailers throughout the UK. He then made a more, like, a bigger switch, I would imagine, to a more well-known publication, the trade publication MCV. He joined the MCV editorial team in 2005 using his extensive market knowledge to help the team to solidify its position as the gaming industry's number one trade publication. In 2007, he then made a switch to the digital side of MCV, becoming the online content manager for the website. There, he's now been writing articles daily about everything to do with the more business side of the games industry that perhaps you don't usually see. He's now the website's editor, and with his team, they've managed to make MCV easily the market leader in their field and games businesses' go-to place for information. My guest today is the very knowledgeable Mr. Ben Parfit. Hello, Ben. Hey, Liam. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm very warm once again. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, fun, thank you. Fun. How How is the weather in the UK today? I don't know why this has become my opening question every week, but I'm always oh, well, very interested. Yeah. Brits love to discuss the weather. I mean, you know, it keeps threatening to be really nice, but it's just sort of pulling off a sort of grey mugginess, really. Very, very typical British weather. Then. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Excellent. So, you are from a very unique side of the games industry, one that is more insider than it is public, I would imagine. Although I feel um, like MCV have become a lot more public in the past few years. Yeah, I should imagine the differences perhaps aren't as large as you would think. Okay. I mean, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, MCV is kind of in this difficult position where... Uh, well, and a privileged position as well, where we, we kind of are predominant. We are a trade magazine. We have the weekly magazine that goes like each week. And, you know, yeah. apart from we're the only weekly trade magazine for the games industry in the world I'm aware of. I mean, Famitsu is weekly, but obviously um, it's a very different thing. Yeah, and then on top of that, Famitsu we have a. Famitsu is just a, full of adverts. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, quite. <laughs> uh, we work with Famitsu. I must be nice about them. They're nice people. I like them. Um, uh, so obviously, we have the weekly magazine going out. Uh, and then we have the website. Now, uh, the website kind of probably is positioned slightly different to the magazine in that, you know, it, it will delve into, it kind of straddles the line between trade and consumer, um, the, the trade and consumer worlds more than the magazine, although the magazine does to an extent. So, you know, at the same time, you, you want decent traffic uh, because, you know, 
you know, this, we are an advertising, like like all things, you know, we're funded through advertising. We're not, we're not a charity. And if yeah, you're so not you, getting you, anyone... You don't review games. You don't have any biased no. opinions about stuff. You're more just reporting on stuff that's happening with inside the industry. Sort of, yeah. I mean, our remit is kind of quite broad and I think it, it shifted a lot. It has done over the years and it, it always shifts um, back and forth. I mean, no, we're not a consumer site. At the same time... Um, Consumer news is relevant to the industry, um, so we will touch upon things that, that do appear to be consumer news if they kind of have a, a sort of a trade implication, which a lot, which a lot of things do. So it's it's kind of a bit of a, a, a kind of muddied territory for us that, um, that we're, we're always trying to kind of figure out exactly where we are. But I mean, you know, we're <clears throat> we're a small team. Um, we the constant uh, looming presence of the mag deadline you know every week it comes yeah. and it's always there above you and then you're trying <laughs> to do a website at the same time so you know i work with a very very hard-working group of guys and girls <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you then how did you always want to work in the games industry because uh, this is a very very different path to what most people would obviously want to do usually um or was it something you sort of fell into and then mcv was this gradual step from what you were doing previously yeah, I mean, no, I didn't always um, have aspirations to do it. I don't. When I was younger, I don't think I really had a particular idea of what I wanted to do. Um, and then at university, I did, I did drama and theatre studies for, <laughs> for reasons. Who knows what on earth was I thinking? I don't. I've no idea. But I did that, and it, yeah, it was great. And then <clears throat> after university, my then girlfriend and I went travelling for six months. Went and lived in Sri Lanka and did some voluntary work over there. And then uh, when we came back, it's just like, right, now I actually have to sort of find a job like a normal person and pay my way and exist in the real world. And, oh, my God, isn't this horrifying? Um, <laughs> and I ended up stumbling into care work because, you know, I was young and naive and idealistic at the time. I thought I wanted to do a job where I was, I was contributing and doing a good thing. And um, I did care work for a while. I worked with uh, um, at a care house for guys with autism, which was – you know, really hard, but really, really, really good, really rewarding. Yeah. And then uh, did some some care work in London for a while. Um, and then ultimately, a couple of years into that, I sort of thought, yeah, this is this is I'm doing a good thing, and this is great. But realistically, this isn't what I want to do with my life. You know, I'm not I'm not selfless enough <laughs> to do this full time. <laughs> so um, then I kind of thought, right, well, what the hell am I going to do? Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd always loved games. I mean, games have been in my life as long as I could remember. When I was really young, my mum, this is betray my age, my mum and dad had an Atari 2600. And I used to, to watch them play Pac-Man. And I got into, you know, Pac-Man, Breakout. Yeah. Um, even the Superman and E.T. games, which, you know, are, are derided and were terrible. I can remember playing them and looking at them and thinking, oh, my God, they're terrible. But at the time, you know, I loved them because as, as a child, you know, that was Superman on the screen, albeit a little pixelated one. That was... E.T. struggling to escape from the pit. I mean, that was great. Um, yeah, so I've, I kind of, I'd always enjoyed games, and they've kind of been the one constant, more or less, throughout my life. There's a little bit of time at university when I sort of got out of the scene a bit, but pretty much games had always been there. Yeah. Um, so then I thought, right, well, you know, maybe that would be a good thing to work in. I, you know, I can't code. I don't have any really skills of recognition. Um, I can write. Yeah, I can write a sentence. Um, but I actually had a friend of a friend. Well, yeah, yeah. I had a friend of a friend who um, knew someone who worked at this games distributor in Croydon called uh, Creative. It was called New Age Consoles at the time. Became Creative, 
And he was like, look, you know, I can put you in touch with them and see what they've got if you want. I was like, yeah, yeah, great. And I, and I got a, a sales job there, which is, you know, I mean, I was the worst salesperson in the world. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hopeless at it. I just don't have that mentality of selling things to people. You know, I'd pick up the phone and be like, oh, you know, we've got a copies of Burnout coming in. Are you interested? And they'd be like, yeah. Oh, is it good? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. And it'd be fine if I was selling a game that was good. But if I was selling a game that was bad, they'd say, hey, is this going to sell? And I'd be like, oh, fuck no. No one's going to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just Duke Nukem forever. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I liked, uh, I enjoyed it. I liked the people there. And um, I really liked the fact that I was able to get games early. Because obviously they come into the to the warehouse a week or so ahead of release and I could buy them at a couple of pound over cost, cost price. So I really enjoyed that. Um, but again, realized that that probably, you know, sales was not a long-term future for me. And we got MCV magazine in the office. I noticed a job ad in there and um, it kind oh, of fitted in. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You, you definitely would have received that uh, MCV. Cause I remember yeah, I, used I, used to, to... I used to work in game a long time ago and we used to receive MCV all the time. So, of course, game business would definitely receive MCV, wouldn't it? Exactly. I used to flick through it every week. And um, and geographically, it looked like it worked with where my girlfriend and I were planning to move. So um, I put in a – and up until that point, I'd kind of started writing um, voluntarily for a number of websites. I know it's kind of frowned upon to work without being paid for it. People get very uh, impassioned about the idea. And I understand that argument. But at the same time, um, having the opportunity for me at the time to, to write um, and have it published online, you know, not just on a blog, but on a, on a recognized website was, was fantastic. And it was putting in, put in all those hours, you know, in my spare time reviewing games, you know, putting dozens of hours into a game and then writing up a review. <clears throat> it was doing that, which meant when I went to MCV, whilst I had no experience as such, I did have a large body of work just to prove that, you know, a lot of people have passing kind of whims and, you know, we get job applications at MCV saying, oh, do you know, I'm kind of thinking I could maybe get into writing about games, you know, if you want to give me a job. And he'd be like, uh, no, fuck you. Um, <laughs> what you want is someone who turns around and says, you know, I've been working really hard and look at all these things I've done. Yeah. And even though I haven't got a job yet, you know, here are 10 examples of my work, um, you know, whether it's on a blog or whether it's on a site. And, you know, I'm taking this seriously. So I was able to go to MCV and say, well, look, here's, here's the stuff I've done. And, you know, God knows why, but I, I initially interviewed with a lady called Lisa Foster, who's one of the founder members of MCV, um, then editor Johnny Minkley, who went on to Eurogamer and now is at Apple, and then I had a second interview with Stuart Dinsey, who's the founder of MCV and was with MCV until a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he's a great man and, uh, you know, one of, one of the <clears throat> most important figures in the UK games industry. I think I've got nothing but praise for Stu. And, uh, you know, they took a chance on me and um, here we are 11 years later. Here we are indeed. Did you never at that any point during that 11 years think, uh, I kind of want to start reviewing games again and now I've I've got this this experience in the industry working at MCV? You not thought about maybe applying it somewhere like a major publication that reviews games instead? I mean, I have... Um... You know, throughout the course of 11 years, obviously you go through ups and downs and I have spoken to other people about other jobs and I've, you know, I've had a couple of offers over the years, but ne never anything I've accepted. Do, do I miss reviewing games? I think I miss reviewing games I like, but you know, as a reviewer, it's fine if you sit down with a game you love and you put 50 hours into it and you know, happy days is when you, <laughs> when you've got to put dozens of hours into a game that you hate. I mean, you know, that's, that's no fun at all. 
And uh, I mean, yeah, I think there are times when I've, I've kind of almost swayed back into that world, but kind of the reality of it is as well that outside of work, you know, life has been quite challenging at times for me. I've, uh, uh, I was a single parent for quite a period. Um, okay. Yeah, my daughter lived with me. I mean, it's different now. I got married at the end of last year. We moved into a new house and things are very different. But life, my personal life kind of required a fair bit of time and energy, um, which sort of meant that outside of work hours, I didn't have a huge amount left in the tank to throw at anything else. So yeah. I think, you know, things could have panned out very differently in lots of ways. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the opportunities I've had and, and, and how things have fallen for me so far. Wow, excellent. Well, today you are here to talk about games that you do like. So yes. you are going to review games, essentially, that you do <laughs> well, like. Well, I've been listening to these amazing critics on your program, like Simon Parkin and, and Rich Stanton. I think, oh my God, I'm going to sound like such a twat. <laughs> well, only only time will tell. <laughs> so... Yes. Your list is probably the most diverse so far, considering you are not a game critic. Um, and as we were talking just before the show, a lot of these games are Japanese games as well, which yeah, is very which interesting. Yeah, surprised me. Yeah, which, yeah, as you said, you, you were very surprised that when you were looking down at it, you were like, wow, six, six out of these eight games are uh, Japanese games, Japanese-developed games. Um, you've got some very interesting games on this list, so it's going to be extremely interesting to hear you talk about them. And uh, especially one of them, I think you're going to have to defend tooth <laughs> and nail, um, but we'll get to that in due time. I'm, so I'm armed and I'm ready. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So why don't we just dive straight into it with the first game, which is a game finally someone has chosen for this list. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it. So let's listen to some music and dive straight into it. So Ben, the first game on your list today, um, for the eight games you've chosen, was developed by Nintendo's famous EAD development team and directed by Takeshi Tezuka, with development led by the one and only Shigeru Miyamoto. It originally released for the Super Nintendo on November 21st, 1999, 1999-1990 in Japan, but it didn't arrive in Europe until almost two years later in April 1992. It received many perfect scores on its initial release and has been included on many best of all games of all time lists by many, many publications. It's finally Super Mario World. Ben, 
Please yes. tell me why Super Mario World is the first game on your list today. Uh, well, I mean, you know, where do you become a Super Mario World? I think first and foremost, it is probably, I think, the single best game that's ever been made. <clears throat> I think that that is kind of, you know, point one. You underline that and, you know, you could end it there. But, I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons why I love it. I mean, I have a bit of a, a, a troubled relationship with Nintendo in a lot of ways. Um, okay. I mean, I... Uh, my, the fir- although the first my first gaming experience was on the Atari two six hundred, the first console I owned was a was a NES. I got it for Christmas, and it was you know <clears throat> I, I just just loved it. it. I mean Super Mario Brothers the first one, you know what a, what a fantastic game. Yeah. Um, and again, you know Mario Brothers two that people lament it because you know it was initially something else and got reskinned. But again, what an incredible game! Yeah, Donkey really Donkey great Donkey game. Yeah, as it was known in Japan. It, it, you know, it doesn't matter that it's not it, that it's different. It's not pure Mario. It's still a fantastic game. And of course, Mario Brothers Three. You, you you could argue that you know a lot of people argue that that's better than World. And you know maybe it is. Um, it, it's certainly brilliant. But for me, Super Mario World um, is is just is just the pinnacle of of that of of two D sixteen bit you know platform games. It's just fantastic. And I mean, <clears throat> it also for me kind of was maybe the sort of the last Nintendo games really that I loved. I mean, I loved that and I loved Super Mario Kart on the snares. Okay. Um, but, but realistically since then, um, certainly modern Nintendo, I just don't understand it. I, I, I know lots of people who, you know, I work with guys who they, they love Nintendo and they love their games. And I know critically they do very well. And there's lots of critics who rant and rave about them. But honestly, just modern Nintendo games, I, I, I don't understand the appeal, if I'm being honest. I mean, okay, that's but, very interesting. <laughs> so here, <laughs> I know that you, you're a big Nintendo fan. I, I do, I do like Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the I Wii. Feel my heart shattering. In <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> well, you know, I'm in the minority. Well, maybe I'm not in the minority. Sales figures, but I mean, you know, the Wii. Obviously, I, the Wii was fantastic. I get the Wii. You know, Wii Sports is could have easily made it onto anyone's um, list. I think. You know, what a what a fantastic game. What a proof of concept. And you know, yes. there's a reason why that, that console sold over 100 million, and that's because you know anyone could pick up that controller and play that game. It's, it was genius. But I mean, um, you know, I, I love the Game Boy as well. But again, the DS. There's just this thing about n- n- Nintendo's modern output out, output that really don't kind of agree with me. I don't I don't like the way they do their hardware UIs. I don't particularly like the design of the hardware. I mean, I had a DS and I, and I liked it. And again, I had a 3DS and it was okay, but you know the resolution of the screens is poor, and I know that doesn't matter ultimately if the games are great. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it does matter to me when you're you're looking at a screen all the time and the screen is terrible. Um, I don't, and but again, it, that isn't the important thing. The important thing is the games, and <clears throat> I don't think personally that they've they've ever matched what they achieved in the in in the um the 2d era i mean super mario 64 yeah that that was a game changer and i get the appeal of that and it was a great accomplishment but but honestly i don't think it was an amazing game uh, i certainly don't think it's as good as the 2d stuff okay it, you know super mario galaxy you know very very good um super mario 3d world on the wii u you know that's the one game on, on the wii u when i had it that i probably did really like really really good game but I don't think they're truly great games in the way that Nintendo used to make truly great games. And and I honestly think that 
um, nostalgia plays such a part in that in in the the reviews a lot of Nintendo stuff gets. You know, I think Nintendo okay. does have a special place in hearts, and I understand that. You know, I love Nintendo. I would love to love the NX. I hope they release a machine with the NX that I get behind and I can enjoy. Yeah. Because I don't enjoy I don't enjoy kind of <clears throat> not loving Nintendo stuff. You know, I used to love it, and I'd love to love it again. But and for me, Super Mario World, I guess, harks back to that time when. I really did love Nintendo games. You know, the, the, the amount of hours I put into that or, or Super Mario Kart, you know, I could have chosen either of those games. They kind of both yeah. represent the same thing. You know, what, what a wonderful time that was. So and, what and specifically, the other... yeah, then what specifically was it about, like, Super Mario World? Was it, like, the time or was it the, the game itself in comparison to what was out at that time? What, what do you think made Super Mario World so special? Well, I mean, personally, for for me, um, I um, decided I wanted to get a SNES, uh, and I I did a car boot sale and sold all my Transformers to fund it, um, <laughs> which you know I really regret actually because I collect <laughs> I collect Transformers now. It's kind of like my, alongside games and you know maybe Doctor Who Transformers are my thing. Okay, um, I cannot believe the collection I sold off. You know what an idiot. Um, anyway, <laughs> only uh, in hindsight, mate. Yeah, only in hindsight. Quite. Um, but I got the money together uh, and bought the snares. And, you know, things were very different back then, you know, in the olden days when we had, you know, gas lights and, uh, you know, we were drawn around horse drawn carriages. <laughs> um, you know, what, nowadays when a game comes out, you know, you've seen the trailers, you've probably played the beta, you've watched Let's Play videos, you know, you, you know most of the game anyway. There's so little surprise left. Back then, I'd seen in, you know, uh, computer and video games or whatever it was I was reading at the time. I knew there's a new SNES coming out. I knew this game was on it. I'd seen a couple of really super low-resolution screenshots, but that was it. Uh, even when I got the SNES uh, and opened it up, it looked different. So I'd seen pictures of the American version of the SNES. So even, oh, the, machine, yeah, okay. yeah, even the machine itself was a surprise. But then to, to actually put in this game and load it up, it it just felt so magical and unknown because i really didn't know what was coming and and the jump from the nez you know it was it was such a leap visually and it yeah. just felt like a whole different world and it felt like kind of being in the future so i, I remember that that feeling of i mean my memory is shocking but i remember very clearly the day i first loaded that game and when it came to life and it was suddenly alive in front of you and not just a small screenshot in the corner of a magazine and it, yeah. it was a really magical feeling that i don't think you really get nowadays I think for me, it was Super Mario World. Um, and it's funny because I've waited so long for someone to finally come on the, the show and talk about Super Mario World uh, as it is my favorite, personal favorite Mario game. Uh, oh, sort great. of just, just above Super Mario Galaxy, which I know okay. you particularly, no, no. you're not no, fond no, that's of. that's so true. I, I do like Mario Galaxy. I think Mario Galaxy is a really, really good game. Okay. I do. I just don't necessarily think it's a, a, a truly great game. Okay. Okay, so I I put it maybe just above um, Mario Galaxy. Although in hindsight, both are two completely different games. Obviously, one is three D, yep. one is two D, and they they work differently in their game mechanics. Um, but they both, for me, capture that sort of spirit of a Mario game. Superb music, gorgeous oh, music. colors, um, and it, if we're splitting the two, so you've still got modern Mario orchestral soundtrack for Galaxy. The music for Super Mario World, the the chip tune music, is just the the best. It, it, it is, yeah, that's it. It's, it's the, the best, best music. Yeah. 
it's absolutely the best. The ending theme to Super Mario World, oh, I think, I'm is so glad the. You mentioned that. I think it's my my coffin will be lowered in the ground to that music. <laughs> You're <laughs> I, right. I, I it's, love the it. be- it's the best song from any game. The ending. Theme I love to it. Super yeah, Mario absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and. and Everything I remember about Super Mario World, forgetting sort of the gameplay, because the gameplay is, it goes without saying that it's, it's superb. It's fantastic. It stands the test of time. It's two buttons that you get good at. It's very, very simple. Um, but the stuff that came with it, like the graphics for Super Mario World, the fantastic. sort of, they'd, they'd, obviously they'd taken what had happened with Super Mario Bros., Super Mario Bros. 3, where they sort of, slightly getting better but the, the everything seemed a lot more chunky like they had that sort of black thick black outlines and everything was very colorful yeah it loads was, of background detail yeah there was just nothing else like it and combined with obviously the superb music um it was just what a game just what a game honestly fantastic game yeah i think i mean people chuck around um terms such as design oh that's that's terrible design that's right you know and realistically most of us aren't game designers and don't know what you know and have a limited grasp of what yeah. good or bad design is absolutely the super mario world is just brilliant design every level is just designed you know designed to death it's just so perfectly crafted and like you say <clears throat> it's not just the visuals it's not just the music which is undoubtedly the best game soundtrack ever you know so many great tunes which i believe are all a variation on one melody as well um <laughs> i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure i don't know that but i think i think that's true that i think they're all sort of yeah because they it's funny when you think about mario songs in your head you sort of think about one and then you'll start singing it, and then it'll all turn into another one without yes, you even exactly. thinking about it. And, you know, it, it, every level has got something new. Every level requires a slightly different skill of you. Um, you know, you can just go straight from A to B and play a platformer that starts quite simple and gets pretty tricky and ends up fairly difficult at the end. That game then, gets difficult. <laughs> even today, yeah, I play it pretty much every year at some point, but... Even now, <laughs> I struggle with that game sometimes. Oh, of course, yeah, especially in these these times where we're pandered to with you know really very easy games. It's it's easy to forget that games were once you know pretty challenging. Even Mario games. Absolutely, and then when, then once you get into the secret stuff, you know, once you get into you know unlocking every gate, get into ninety six stars, once you get into Star Road and all of that, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's devilish. But I mean, <laughs> I, I remember hitting ninety six stars, um, and again, these were back in the days when you couldn't jump on Game Facts. I mean, I'd found out it's ninety six stars through you know Aladdin Playground, and then of course there's rooms of a ninety seventh and this that and the other. And eventually, you think, Do you know what, I think it's ninety six, and then when you eventually unlock it, you get the star next to the ninety six, so you know that you've done it. <laughs> and I mean, these these were magical times. I think it took two weeks from opening the machine, playing it just constantly all the time, and then um, to seeing it all. And you know what what an amazing experience. And and a game, you know, there's not many games I think that age as well. A lot of games that you look back on as fantastic, particularly 3D games. Yeah, you go back to them a few years later and they feel ropey. But Mario World, you can pick it up now, and I mean, it's going to feel just as amazing as it did on the first day. It does, and. Even to this day, I must have bought that game, <laughs> I don't know, 10 times, I think. I, I obviously had the Super Nintendo version. I bought the Wii Virtual Console version. I bought the Wii U Virtual Console version. I bought the Japanese Super Nintendo version, which is on my shelf over there. And I recently bought the 3DS 
Virtual Console Vision as well. <laughs> Nintendo are very good at that. Yes, they are. God, such a sucker, aren't I? <laughs> I still think that, um, you know, people were talking, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, is, is it the end for the Wii U, which I guess it kind of is. But I still think there's there's success to be had there. If you cut that machine down to a good price, and I think if Nintendo, imagine if Nintendo did a subscription service where for, I don't know how much a month, £10 a month, maybe more, you had complete access to its entire back catalogue, you know, whether whether it's you know through emulation. Imagine if they launched the NX and they said, right, if you subscribe to Nintendo Plus member or whatever, yeah. and you pay ten pound a month, and for that you can download anything and play it. Oh my God, can you imagine how successful that would be? That would be amazing, like the whole virtual console back catalogue. I don't think they would ever go to that extent. I th- I could see something like maybe like similar to PlayStation Plus, where it's like four pounds and you get maybe. One one NX game and then like three virtual console games or something like that. Um, maybe I mean I think, Nintendo... but the virtual console ones you get to keep forever. Maybe instead of like only when you have a subscription. I don't know. Yeah, but... that that would work. N- Nintendo have got a lot to work on in terms of their sort of uh digital side of things there oh my god they've got such a tough time ahead. yeah i, I really do their account think. systems are very bad even no one can defend that and i am a proponent of the wii u i think for the price that the wii u is it's sub you know like 200 around maybe even lower i remember buying my wind waker version for like 170 quid from gaming that was three years ago um but for that price, bundled in with games like Splatoon, Super Smash Brothers, Super Mario 3D World, Mario Kart 8, already you're kind of making your money's worth. And then if you sort of look a little bit deeper and you start looking at the virtual console games and you're like, oh, I remember playing Super Mario Kart or oh, that Earthbound game that everyone goes on about that I didn't get to play because it never got released in Europe. I wonder what that's all about. I just think that there is something there if people can get over this hump of it being a Dreamcast 2, I think. Um, well, I mean, if they if they released a bundle, say, this Christmas for 100 quid and five games, or even 150 quid and, and 10 games, you know, um, and picked out the better games on the system, you know, there, there's a market of people out there who kind of like look at the Wii U and think, you know what, I'd play Mario World, I'd play Mario 3D World, or I'd play Mario Kart, but there's no way I'm spending, you know, 200 quid to get one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's a price at which they could sell those machines, but then, you know, there are other baffling decisions, like the, the storage problem. I mean, that's just insane. <laughs> the, I mean, what, really what, what were they thinking? <laughs> that, 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 for me, is really the one that... that it's drives. really stupid. I've got Xenoblade Chronicles <clears throat> X installed because I'm sometimes playing through that game. That's like 22 gigabytes. So that's almost <laughs> all of the console's memory. So I can't have any other digital game on there apart from virtual console games, which are like a few megabytes. It's crazy. Uh, it's ridiculous. And then compared to like the PlayStation 4, I've got... Uncharted 4 installed, The Witcher 3 installed, Dark Souls 3 installed. I've got all these huge 80 gigabyte games installed, no problem. When your PS4 at 500 gig feels like a squeeze. I mean, I, I what did I get? I, got, I downloaded Ratchet and Clank the other week and I had to delete some stuff to get that on there. Yeah, and that's 500 gig and that's pushing it. You know, 32 on the Wii U. <laughs> and, that's, and that's if you buy the the, the upgraded model. Yeah, you might have <laughs> If you eight, get the white right. model, you, yeah, you might get 8 gigabyte. But I think... Uh, <laughs> I mean, what Nintendo does with the NX, <clears throat> they, they, they've, I'm not, you can never rule Nintendo out, right? That's one of the things I've learned over the years. You absolutely never know what they're going to no. do. Yeah. And they are absolutely capable 
of producing a machine that will sell millions and millions would be a massive success. Coming up with a new idea that will be a massive success. That's absolutely possible. But uh, I, I do fear for the, the struggles they're going to face. I mean, what you were saying about you know people rebuying games and nostalgia, and, oh, I remember playing that, I'll play it again. Yeah, that, that holds true up to a point. But the more Nintendo's market diminishes, which at the moment is diminishing very quickly, you quickly eat into that nostalgia. You know, older players will only buy the same game so many times. You know, I, I mean, I bought Super Mario World, you know, the original. I got it on DS. I'm sure I got digital version on one of the consoles. I, I wouldn't yeah. buy it again. You know, I love that game, but I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to buy it again. And there, there's a limit to that. And, and as time goes on, you know, people move on and new audiences come in and new audiences don't have nostalgia. And, and Nintendo really does need to come out with a really good original idea in the NX that's, that's going to do well. And I think it's going to be difficult for them. And people really, their fans, I think, want to see them come out with a, a console to rival PS4 and Xbox One. But, you know, if you're Nintendo, why are you going to do that? Why are you going, you're going to look at the success of the PS4 and think, right, we're going to pitch a machine to go up against that? No, you're not going to do that, are you? You're going to look back and think, actually, do you remember when we released the Wii? And it was different to everything else. And we sold 100 million units. And it was brilliant. That's what they're going to think of. And yeah. that's what they're going to try and do again. But, I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's a big ask of any company, even one as brilliant as Nintendo. Absolutely. So, actually, just before we move on to your next game, uh, obviously, you are constantly, daily, seeing, you know, charts of sales or console sales and market forecasts and all those kind of crazy things. Are you sort of like a psychic, a gaming psychic? Can you tell what's going to be popular? Oh, of course. Yeah, I've got all the answers. What do you want to know? <laughs> do you do you sort of know know at least where trends are going to go? Have you got a track record of being able to predict things based on what the information that you get in at MCV? No, it's it's no different for us than it is for anyone else, really. I think the only thing at MCV is sometimes um, we have a more realistic grasp on what is isn't is and isn't successful on a kind of regional basis i mean people will look at the sales of a game in the uk <clears throat> think, oh my god it's a flop and oh my god it's been amazing it's just like but well, you know what? actually compared to internal expectations that did amazingly or compared to internal expectations that fell short but generally you know we we have the same stuff as as most other people really okay. we're, we're not we're not in any sort of privileged position really so if i give you a quick fire round of yes or no something's going to be successful <laughs> So like, well, just, just so there's a documented record of yes, my errors. Yes, exactly. So I know right. what to invest my money in. Okay, so VR, yes or no? Oh, God, you start with such a difficult one. <laughs> VR is amazing. We, I had a Vive at home um, for a week, a couple okay. of weeks back, for a feature I'm doing. What an incredible bit of technology. You know, um, it really is a game changer. At the same time, um, that early hardware to me feels like prototype hardware. Okay. You know, there's too many compromises. The screens aren't quite good enough. The cables too prohibitive. Version two of the of Rift and Vive, I'm sure, will be amazing. But at 600 quid a shot, you know, kind of it doesn't matter how amazing it is because most people don't have that money. So VR. Yeah. Also, it's very long... difficult to get a computer that can run oh, that kind God, of thing. Yeah. So PlayStation yeah. VR is probably more than likely going to be the more successful. I think PlayStation VR could do very well, particularly if they get exclusive software, which it looks like they're going to do. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we all know about hardware expansions to existing hardware and how that typically does. It's not normally a good bet to buy something that relies on people owning a machine already. So, I don't know, VR, I would say hold back 
But at some stage, I'm sure it's going to be massive. But I think perhaps the current boom might be a bit of a false dawn, and we might have to wait a bit. Okay, so that was the longest maybe in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So next, um, next, uh, is the Xbox One going to catch up to the PlayStation Four? No. Okay. But Xbox One is doing well. I mean, the the only thing that makes Xbox One look bad is that PS4 is doing so well. But Xbox One is doing great. It's doing better than 360. Microsoft have put so much effort into recovering from that clusterfuck E3 reveal. They're trying so hard. <laughs> God, that damaged them so different, so oh badly. That was... Yeah, I know people at retail, and even now they have people come in and they try and sell an Xbox One on them, and they say things like, "Oh, you can't play free owned games on that." It's like, yeah, that was never true, and it was only <laughs> only the idea was only in existence publicly for like a couple of weeks, but it lingers <laughs> and it hangs on. It does. Um, PlayStation Neo. Oh, again. You, do you know what? I think people are right to be annoyed. As a PS4 owner, I'm a bit annoyed. I'm annoyed. Time, I'm annoyed as well. Of course. But at the same time, um, gamers and technology enthusiasts have a track record of being prepared to pay out. You know, we will pay out. People pay out I all the time I bought a new 3DS. So, of yeah. course. Yeah. So PS4 Neo, it will annoy people. But yeah, that's a good idea and it'll be a success. Okay. Uh, last two. Uh, NX. completely unknown variable i i'm worried about what they might do okay so that's uh, and maybe no uh, oh i hope so i'd I'd love a strong nintendo and i hope it's a big success for them yeah uh so last one um is apple ever going to be a like a huge player other than mobile apps no okay (laughs) there you have it everyone so now Invest your money in whatever Ben said. <laughs> Any questions I didn't answer, just go on to NeoGAF and have a look. That's where I'll get my information from. <laughs> Don't let NeoGAF know that. <laughs> okay, so Ben, we're going to move on to your next game and uh, talk about the deserted place that you're trapped in as well. So let's listen oh, to some yeah. music from your next game and dive straight into it. Okay, Ben, as I hinted at before, uh, we have the section of the show where you have to tell me the deserted place that you are trapped in, the virtual video game world that unfortunately I've banished you to. Uh, do you have anything that comes to your mind? Uh, obviously, we had uh, Steve Burns not that long ago. I can't remember what Steve chose. Uh, something ridiculous. 
<laughs> Do you know what? I listened to that episode just a couple of weeks back. I'm trying to remember what it shows now. I can't remember. I can't believe I even I, I know that Andy Kelly went for the uh, the aliens. Oh yeah, he went for the Nostromo from uh, Alien Isolation. <laughs> um, last week we had Nathan uh, Dighton from PlayStation Access, and he chose the place from uh, Everyone's Gone to the Rapture. The oh the god, that's what I, that's Trump's what I'm thinking, thinking of now. He's stolen oh, really? my idea. <laughs> what's it called oh, Yorton Yarton or whatever it's called oh god I don't know what it's called but yeah, yeah I didn't I didn't prep for this question but I reckon um, yeah that I've got two two places to go around my head one okay. is is Nathan's everyone's gone to the rapture village because we, we've just moved to the country to the Hertfordshire countryside okay and, yeah I'm at a stage in my life where I'm I'm fully ready for a for quiet rural for a, for a pint and a pie and then going home and having a nap yeah, sitting on a bench and watching the sunset Excellent. and then, you know, watering the garden. That's very much me now. I'm, I'm 25 and life. I want to do that. <laughs> um, at the same time, I would quite fancy hanging out on the Normandy from Mass Effect. Oh, good choice, yeah. I like the idea of having my own my own craft. I mean, am I able to, to get onto the star chart and go places? Yeah, you can't interact with anyone, so you could fly to those planets, but there'd be no one on there. Oh, that's that's fine. People are annoying, so I could get off the craft. It could be aliens, though. I'm not. I've never actually defined the rules. Like on Andy's Nostromo, there is definitely an alien on there because that would make it more fun. Um, fun, <laughs> fun for him, fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> but humans, no human contact. But you could be the only human in space and interacting with all the. Quarrens and the Krogans and that kind of thing. Maybe, yeah, see, maybe that I'll allow like a good that. Setup. Yeah, that that works for me perfectly well. Yeah, I'll go with the Normandy then. Um, okay, so yeah, you know, I, I love that that kind of feeling. I mean, Mass Effect was one of the ones that I had to cut from the list because you know you cruelly wouldn't let me extend it from eight games. Um, <laughs> I love Mass Effect, so uh, I would I would happily have the Normandy to, to jet about and be kind of like Picard on my own vessel. That would you know, live in the next generation dream. That would work for me. Okay, excellent. Well, next we're going to talk about your favorite soccer game on the Citadel. <laughs> um, so the next game you've chosen is a sequel to the 1992 game Sensible Soccer. It was designed and developed by Sensible Software. It's an updated version for the Amiga. Uh, it had like loads of new data, new menus, and a new gameplay feature, Curling Passes. What an excellent feature. Uh, it was one of the last Sensible Soccer games to be developed. It's the Sensible World of Soccer 9596. Ben. What a game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, realistically, is Sensible Soccer the best football game ever made? No, probably not. Um, you know, this is a subject, you know, you could debate for ages about. I, I was, after the Sensible years, I was very much a Pez guy. Um, you know, right through until about Pez 5. And then, unfortunately, I think you know Konami, with their resources, struggled with the switch to to the next line of consoles, and and I did end up kind of making the jump to to FIFA. And as okay. much as I think recent Pezes have been better, I mean, last year's or this year's Pez is is really good. Um, I always think they're kind of there's always a couple of elements that fall short. And while FIFA is far from perfect. I think as an overall package, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to fault FIFA. You know, especially I think so, say something like FIFA 14. I'd probably say is my probably my favourite <clears throat> football game or the best football game. But but Swaz for me, um, I've just got such fond memories. I mean, that that game was like a religion when I was at, at school. You know, there was a group of us who just 
we're just obsessed with it. I mean, I, I don't know how many hours I've, I've put into <clears throat> various incarnations of sensible soccer over the years, but yeah. you know, it must be hundreds, possibly thousands. <laughs> I could just burn through the career mode on that game. I mean, I still remember goals I scored, I scored in that game, you know, in 1993. I remember playing, taking Wigan from the third division up to the you know, the League One title as it was then before the Premiership. And I remember in our first season in the fourth division um, uh, and getting to the FA Cup final against Man United and it was nil-nil in the 81st minute. From the halfway line, I chipped a curling (laughs) high ball from the kind of central right midfield that bounced and bounced over the keeper into the top left corner and I won the FA Cup final. I mean, I remember that that goal. I remember two seconds of gaming from, you know, over 20 years ago and it was, you know, amazing. I I just love that game. It was such raw playability. I mean, you know, it wasn't an accurate simulation as such, but as, as no. a raw gameplay experience, it was just fantastic. So what console did you play on? Because it was on like many, many different consoles. I, I remember I played Sensible Soccer on the Mega Drive and I remember mm. some excellent times with my cousin who owned it. Uh, just uh, loved it. I, I played it on the Amiga. I think I played it. I played um, an Amiga 600, I think it was. Um, and and then subsequently, I, I rediscovered the joy of it again when I got a... Um, a laptop when I was at university. So I don't think I've ever actually played a console version. It's always been a computer of some sort. What was the controls like? Like, because the Amiga was the... Oh, I used a joypad. Okay, okay, that was okay then. Cause I think the, I used obviously... a Mega Drive joypad, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think so, yeah. One of those weird hacks that you could do with the old Amigas. No, because the Mega Drive ports... Up. Oh, no, God, I might be getting this all wrong. I'm making myself that I could hit. But I believe that the the nine-pin ports for the Mega Drive controllers are the same as one of the ports on the Amiga, so you, oh, could, really? you could use it. I think... Oh, God, I might be making that up completely. I think that's true. So... Recently, there was a Kickstarter. Um, I spoke to Danny O'Dwyer yes. from Gamespot uh, a couple of months ago about the Sensible Soccer because he also chose. Uh, he also chose Sensible Soccer. Uh, World oh, Soccer. good lad! Yeah, and um, he backed the Sensible Soccer Kickstarter. Did you? <laughs> I've never backed a Kickstarter. Not a fan. I'm. I'm telling. I, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I think that you know, if a Kickstarter is funded and and it comes to fruition with a, a good product, brilliant. You know, I, I have bought games that were kick-started, undoubtedly. But oh, if you're yeah. asking, and I, I, I understand the principle of the model <clears throat> in that, you know, a publisher won't invest in this type of game, but we know there's a market for it. So if you invest in it now, it will come to fruition, and it wouldn't have done otherwise. I get that, and that's great. But at the same time, you know, placing your money on the line for what is effectively a uh, a promise with, with you know, if that, that product is never made, there's, there's fuck all you can do about it. You won't get that money back. You know, there's something about it that just kind of, Oh, I don't know. I've never, I've never brought myself to do it. Um, I did look at the sensible soccer one. I did think about backing it. Um, realistically though, you know, well, obviously your, was... your sort of warning signals were right because the Kickstarter just sort of stopped halfway through and then they made the game anyway and now and yeah and now they're making the game under a publisher so so you know how important was that kickstarter anyway that's a whole other debate (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i guess it's just you know sensible soccer was was and is amazing but was very much a product of its time you know i I, as much as i love sensible soccer now 
would I sit down now and put hundreds of hours into it? No, no, of course I wouldn't. Um, Even so, with like John Hare developing it and the and the good team behind the new one, you know. Hey, I've got I've got no reason to suspect John Hare won't won't make a great game. I absolutely hope it. Well, you know, kickoff I think got a release date yesterday as well. So you know, we're very much back in the age of those sort of football games. And if they're great, awesome, I'll be there. But um, yeah, do I expect them to be great? No, not necessarily. I hope so. Ooh. Well, we'll see. Um, so there is a cup final in England today. Yes, FA Cup final. Uh, for mm. anyone who may be listening outside of the UK, it's Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Uh, on the topic of football, who's going to win? This is coming out on Monday, so you're either going to be laughably <laughs> wrong <laughs> well, or I mean, very, I'm not very back, correct. I'm not going to back Palace, right? I, I think there might be implications for my team, Southampton, um, with regards to Europe. I, I, yeah, I may I be wrong. If United if, win, uh, I think Southampton get a Europa League place. Yeah, we, we're in the Europa qualifying as it is, but I think if United win, perhaps we go straight through to the group stages. I think might be how it works out. Um, but at the same time, it would be hilarious if United lost, right? Because everyone absolutely. I'm a Manchester City fan, so absolutely. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Alan Pardew's Crystal Palace all the way today. <laughs> Pardew, though. I mean, he used to be a Saints. He used to be a Saints manager, and I wasn't a huge fan of the guy, to be honest. But at the he's same a, time, he's a terrible human fans. being. <laughs> well, well, you know, you said that. Luckily, not me. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm sure United will win, and just, and I'm sure Louis Van Gaal will stay in the job and i'm sure it'll be all the same again next season well we'll find out on monday morning whether you're correct or not. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be great if palace won though of course absolutely um so we're going to move on to your next game which is a completely uh juxtaposition from what we we're just talking about football and we're going into a world of dragons and rpgs now um but it's not probably a dragon rpg you're thinking of or have thought of in a long time so let's listen to some music and dive straight into it So your next game is a game I've always wanted to play, but I've never played it. I unfortunately uh-huh. never got to, but I've looked for it for a long time. Uh, it's become sort of a collector's item now, and it is quite expensive to get a hold of. Uh, it's the RPG title developed by Sega's Team Andromeda. Uh, Team Andromeda. I can't speak today very well. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, directed by Yukiko Futsugi. Uh, originally released for the largely unsuccessful Sega Saturn in January of 1998. It's the only title in this series that isn't an online rail shooter. Uh, it's Panzer Dragoon Saga. Ben, this is a very unique title you've chosen for your island today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, cause 
I uh, got a, a Saturn instead of a PlayStation. Um, not through any <laughs> burning loyalty to Sega or anything. I was wondering. More because, yeah, I'd kind of thought I'd saved up the money to buy a console. And I remember going into what was then the Electronics Boutique in, in Basingstoke, where I lived at the time, <clears throat> and just chatting to the guy in there. And he was just like, well, you know, PlayStation's proven very popular, but on the Saturn, you'll probably get all the same games you get on PlayStation, plus you're going to get all those Sega exclusives. Did and you ever track thought, down yeah. this guy and and tell him how wrong <laughs> he was? <laughs> well, yeah. But, you know, do you know I, I love the Saturn. I had a great time with the Saturn. I mean, there are some, some really great games in there. Uh, Sega Rally is a game that easily could have made this list. You know, what, what a fantastic racing title. Um, you know, the Saturn for me, I don't look back on it with negativity. I mean, I've got some really great memories. And when I kind of went to university, um, I kind of uh, was not as invested in games for a while because, you know, I was too busy going out, getting pissed and God knows what else. And, you know, every now and then <laughs> studying. Um, but my Saturn came with me and uh, I would wander into Canterbury every now and then and see what was around. And there was this one shop. Um, kind of located around around the the, the back, uh, not on Main High Street, sort of down a few alleyways. It was sort of an odds and sods shop. It didn't sell anything in particular, but in there was a a rack, a, a game a games rack, and you know the guy obviously knew his stuff. And as and when stuff came out for the Saturn, it would appear there. <clears throat> so I picked up Panzer Dragoon Saga, not really knowing much about it, not knowing that it would go on to become well. That, that's kind of the way things were back then, anyway, wasn't it? You sort of had to go on the the word of other people or looking at the back of a box and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and it looked cool. Um, you know, little did I know that years later, when I I sold it off, you know, it, it, I could have got so much money for it. I yes, it's very expensive. It. Uh, very expensive. And become quite the collector's item now. Even most Sega Saturn stuff has become quite rare and valuable anyway. Oh my god, the collection I had, you know, I had that, Burning Rangers, I had all sorts of collectible stuff that really would be worth a fortune now, and I, I gave it away. <laughs> so not only did you get rid of those Transformers, you also got rid of most of your Sega Saturn stuff. I think you need to keep hold of things, Ben. I think you oh, do. <laughs> I know. I, uh, I got rid of all my Saturn stuff. There's a, um, an old, a shop, I don't know if it's still there, in Croydon called X Electrical. The last time I went in there, it basically became a you know, place people go in there to, to sell stolen mobile phones, one of them shops. But oh, at the okay. time, <laughs> it was kind of like a sort of, you know, a retro game yeah. mecca. The stuff in there, I, you know, when we, we'd go into Croydon, my girlfriend would go and do grown up shopping, and I'd just hang around in X Electrical. And, you know, the stuff I'd have in there would be amazing. I eventually sold all my Saturn stuff to them. And I remember him turning around at the time and I presented it to him and being like, oh, well, you know, I can see from your collection that you clearly know your stuff. And, and I'm just thinking, what? You know, as far as I'm aware, you know, this is worth 10 quid. But anyway, and I used that money to get, I think I got Dreamcast and a GameCube. And Okay, so anyway. you were just upgrading, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Saturn, yeah, the Saturn was awesome. And this is a game I just remember really enjoying. You know, I, I'm not... It's not common that I finish games. You know, there's so I have so little time, and you know, there are so many games coming out that I'm interested in playing. It's really unusual for me to get to the end of anything, but I did get to the end of this, and you know, I, I just thought it was great. I remember, you know, I remember the characters. I remember, you know, the ending was actually really emotional. Um, it had that kind of feeling when you get to the end of a good book. You know, when you're invested in these characters and there's a sacrifice and a, and a loss and you care about them. And I, I felt just the same when I got to the end of this. I really cared about about the dragon and I really cared about Edge. And, you know, 
and uh, you know, I had affection for some of the characters, like you know, Pyatt the engineer and the baddie Kramer. You know, I wanted to take that guy down. I badly wanted to take that guy down. I really cared about it. And the the combat mechanic of the dragon, you, you kind of you flew around other dragons. There were four sides and different weapons, uh, depending on the context. And and it, it was the whole thing was just really satisfying and a, a, a really really great adventure. And it, and it felt when you got to the end of it like you'd experienced something meaningful, and that that affection still lasts through for me today. I thought it was wonderful. You sort of bring up like a a point that I've always tried to defend in terms of like RPGs. Um, I always feel like we have these big blockbuster storytelling games like Uncharted and many other types of games like that. But I always feel that RPGs are kind of as you describe like a big book. They take a long time. If you're if you're a slow reader, I imagine, <laughs> but like um, they take a long time. You know, you invest fifty to a hundred hours in these games, and you do get attached to these characters. It doesn't matter how good the story is necessarily if it's a good story anyway. Um, I don't know if that's the case with Panzer Dragoon Saga. I haven't played it, um, but if it's uh, even a mediocre story, you spend so long getting attached to these characters, and 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 even if they have the most mediocre of. Uh, I don't know, wants or the thing that's driving them is asinine, maybe. Uh, you spend so long, you get attached to these characters, and it is an adventure. And that form of storytelling comes from that gameplay design as well. I think it's really important. That's why I think RPGs are, they're usually the games that stick in people's minds the most anyway, because of these epically long journeys you spend. Um, and. I don't know if you feel the same. Obviously, you don't have many RPGs on this list, um, so I'm not sure if you are you a big fan of RPGs anyway. Um, I mean, it's not my go-to genre. It's more time constraints more than anything. I mean, I'm not a Final Fantasy person. I've never successfully got into a Final Fantasy game. I mean, I have played RPG RPGs over the years, and uh, you're completely right. You know, you spend time with with the character, and even if you know the narrative isn't isn't top-notch you're going to care by the end um but i mean yeah, there aren't many games really where uh you know it has an emotional impact on you that you know 10 20 years later you can remember it and i i, I yeah there's things about that game i clearly remember i mean um the the i don't want to give anything away though i don't suppose you know people are gonna gonna play it spoilers but, um, are okay, oh. spoilers are okay. <laughs> right okay as long well, as it's it, like within reason panzer dragon saga not many people are gonna get hold of that anyway so <laughs> no that's true at the beginning, your character is united with this this dragon, who I, I believe remains nameless, who basically comes to your aid for no obvious reason. And you, you know, he you end up being partners and doing your thing. And I, the, the thing I remember about it was basically the the benevolence of this dragon. You know, there's no real reason why he helped you as such. You know, he he ch- chose to help you of his own accord. And this, this, I just remember thinking, God, this this dragon is fundamentally decent. And then when you get to the end of the game <laughs> and there's a big climax of involving the dragon and, you know, uh, we'll just cut to it, he, he dies. Um, God, it was, it was devastating. You know, this, this, this thing that had helped me just out of sheer goodness, just out of raw goodness and for no other reason. And then for him to have to die, oh, God, it, it killed me. Have you ever gone back and played it since? Does it still? Well, no, I'm not going to, am I? Looking at the prices, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You know, I doubt it's aged well. I mean, you know, Saturn's 3D visuals. You know what they were like, anyway. Not the greatest. Weaker than the Playstations at some point. Yeah, and early 3D games. Now you go back and look at them, and they, you know, they look rough. So as much as 
we all know it's not about the graphics. You know, at the same time, there's only I can't see myself putting dozens of hours into a game that's going to be that ugly. Yeah, I'm happy with the memory. I'll keep hold of that. So, you, but you're going to be okay playing it on the Normandy, right? Oh yeah, yeah, of course that'd be fine because uh, on a spaceship like that, you'll have some sort of super graphical filtering technology that'll make it look like a PS4 Neo title. <laughs> <laughs> that's an extremely specific thing to bank on <laughs> <laughs> no no i'm sure i saw that on one of the consoles and i was roaming around okay okay maybe joker's left something in there for you to exactly fiddle around with because the, the playstation vita has something kind of like that where you can uh change the like filtering uh and it mm. makes the playstation one games look a little bit better not well, yeah, I mean, on emulation, but, yeah. on emulation on PCs, obviously, there's ways and means of making older games yeah. uh, look pretty tasty. So I'll just make sure I'm packing that tech on the Normandy. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so we're going to move on to your next game now, which is also another sort of uh, very different game from what you people usually uh, choose. But I think a lot of people did enjoy this game, and um, it's become relevant again with an announcement this year of... Uh, Oh, a yes. new game, uh, well, a new game, a new version of that game coming out. Um, so let's listen to some excellent music and uh, dive straight into it. game on your list uh, today ben is an on-rails shooter um but it's like a trance synthesthesia colorful explosion directed by tetsuya mizuguchi it's developed by sega and former team members of the panzer dragoon sagas uh, andromeda team uh, so the previous game and this game are linked uh, originally released as an one for the gamecube um a Dreamcast, sorry, not the GameCube. It's uh, seen <laughs> re-releases for both the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox 360, with a PlayStation VR compatible HD version coming to PlayStation 4 this year. In Japan, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it had a special package version. And uh, the special package version of this game came with a trance vibrator, a, pr- a gaming peripheral that would vibrate powerfully uh, to the beat of the music while you were playing the game. And as you can imagine... It was not used in the most uh, ethical of ways. <laughs> and there was a lot Filth. of contro- yeah, a lot of controversy around this gaming peripheral, but it all came for the game Res. Ben, please tell me why you've chosen Mizuguchi's masterpiece, Res. Oh, take. what a game! What a game! I mean, we, you know, we we all hear about you know the masters of the art like you know Kojima or what have you all the time. We don't hear anywhere near enough praise from Mizuguchi. 
I mean, look at that guy's back catalogue. You know, Sega Rally or Space Channel Five. Yeah. Um, even smaller games that are brilliant that don't get the praise they deserve, like Every Extend Extra. You know, Child of Eden, the next res. You know, great, great games. You know, what a what a brilliant developer. And um, you know, Res is was just just such a great game. I mean, I, I never played it on Dreamcast actually. I had it. Well, I did subsequently, but I initially played it on PS2. Um, and it was because I, like I said, I'd kind of got out of gaming for a while when I was at university, and then I went travelling to Sri Lanka. And then when I came back, um, I went round to mates, and I, you know, the last the last gaming I'd played was on on the Saturn, kind of a few years before, really. Okay. Um, and he had a, he just got a PS2, and he loaded up Pro Evolution Soccer, the first one, and I just remember looking at this thing and being like, oh my god. You know, the last football game I played, I think, was Sega, Sega World, Sega Worldwide Soccer. Okay. You know, which I loved and was great. But Pez, I mean, it felt like watching Match of the Day. It was incredible. <laughs> then he puts in Gran Turismo uh, 3, was it, the, the PS2 one. I must remember looking at that and, you know, the intro with the music and the graphics and just saying, Jesus Christ, you know, this is a video game. This is amazing. Then he puts in um, Grand Theft Auto 3. And it's just, you know, there's a virtual world in front of me. And, ah, and I just remember thinking, I, I, I literally left his house just, like, staggering, like, oh, my God. You know, when did this happen to video games? And within a week, I scraped together the money and gone and bought a PS2. And that kind of, you know, kind of sparked my second era in gaming. Uh, but one of the games I remember most fondly from the kind of PS2 days was was definitely Reds. Okay. Um, I mean, I played that um, at a time where... How do I how do I say this without incriminating myself? Um, <laughs> when I was at university, I had a, a really good time and was happy to have new experiences and expand my mind in various okay. ways. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and all I say is when the first when I played Res, I remember I was at home alone because my girlfriend was out working at the BBC at the time, so I, I closed all the windows, put down all the blinds. We'd got this cheap and nasty surround system, which I hooked up. And I turned this game on. And when I emerged from the other end, which was, you know, an hour or two later, I I just realized I'd had an experience like I'd never had with a video game before. Just to be completely caught up in the rhythm and the rhythm of the world and, and the visuals and the way it all combines together through that baseline and that and your actions shaping it as much as the world around you and just that that raw kind of that, that, that visual design that's just like being in a club you know it's like being in a nightclub in the middle of the night off your tits and you know <laughs> it just captured that and just the music was amazing I mean like you know dance music is my default music as it is you know Mizuguchi it's just the, 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 as an experience I don't think you can you can better res really. Do you reckon? Do you reckon you'll be able to play res on the Normandy? Uh, we'll give you the PlayStation VR version because I'm oh, sure. Can you imagine what that is actually gonna, gonna fuck with your mind, right? That's, really, <laughs> that's, that's what I was gonna say. Gonna Are you gonna, do you reckon the PlayStation VR version is gonna replace the? Uh, the illegal additives that you might have added in the res experience originally. Well, I've I've played Res since you know um, 
now I lead a, a more respectable adult life, and I still <laughs> I still completely love it and enjoy it. Re- you know, regardless of circumstance, I think it's a great game. Yeah, I really do think Res in VR is the sort of thing that can send some people mad. I mean, imagine that it, I, when I played it before, it already feels kind of consuming, and you and you you're kind of sucked into that world. When you literally are going to be sucked into that world with the VR headset, I just that's that's the main VR experience for me. I look at and think. Oh my god! If I am going to spend money on a VR headset, it's to play that game. <laughs> it's funny because Res is such a like an explosion of stuff happening, and everything happens so fast. Mm. In VR, do you reckon it's going to be just too much? Maybe a little bit. I fear I, w- I fear I wouldn't be able to handle all that happening right in front of my eyes and at like a hundred miles per hour. No, nah, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna fuck us up. But that's why it's gonna work so well. It's gonna be amazing. We're gonna be battered and destroyed, but we'll remember it. I just, I just can't wait for that. It's gonna be something else, surely. Did you see the uh, the Synthestasia suit that they had when they announced the game? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they do it in my size. <laughs> Maybe we can get an all-purpose fitting suit and we can send it to the Normandy for you. And you can I just sort of off. jazz out by yourself well no one no one can watch you do it anyway so that's a shame because i think i'd rock that look pretty hard <laughs> excellent excellent what what are your own personal thoughts on this sort of quote-unquote story of res a lot of people obviously have a sort of weird theories about what mizuguchi is trying to tell through the visual it's like the sperm chasing the egg kind of thing <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, have you I thought about that a little bit, or is, are you just like, oh, fuck that? I want to play the game. Yeah, for me, I, I, I don't have any opinion to share on that. Really, it is purely that that game for me in particular is one about just that experience, that that hour or an hour and a half, whatever it takes to complete. It's, yeah, it's just a perfect gaming experience that you know it's, it's like a fantastic film. You can just dive in and enjoy that anytime, and you know the meaning behind it cool you know point send me a link to an article and i'll read that and enjoy it but it's is for me it's completely besides the point excellent wow moving on from one crazy japanese game to another crazy japanese game Uh, the next game you've chosen for your list uh, today, Ben, is like a third-person puzzle platformer that was developed out of a school project. Um, it was developed by Namco for less than one million. For less than one million. That's crazy in today's modern 
gaming budgets. Uh, it was released for the PlayStation 2 in March of 2004. Players taken the role of the prince, a tiny 5 centimeter tall prince, as he tries to put the stars and the celestial bodies back together by rolling a ball to collect items, all to please his father, the king of all cosmos, who actually was the one who destroyed all the stars in a binge drinking spree beforehand. Uh, it enjoyed moderate commercial success, but reviewed extremely well, gaining a cult status among gamers. Uh, you've chosen Katamari Damacy. Oh, such a brilliant game. I, it makes me smile just thinking about it. I mean, this was kind of a period when um, I'd started getting into importing, you know, having got back into to gaming in a big way. I yeah. Was, I was really getting involved. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'd started importing games. And because uh, Katamari Damacy never came out over here, and at the time, my girlfriend was Japanese, and, and she was jetting off to Japan, I think it was the BBC. And I'd heard about this game. I was like, if you see a copy, pick, pick, pick it up for me. And she did. And, oh, my God, it's just... I mean, we, talk, we were talking earlier about the ending music to Super Mario World, the intro music to Katamari Damacy. It's oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I'd never grow tired of listening to it. And, um, you know, I, actually, this was this was one of the games I reviewed when I was when I was writing reviews, and I, I think I've got the highest score on Metacritic for this game is my review, ninety six percent. I think it goes through to the dead, dead link now, and what was Farago. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I I just fell in love with it. I mean, and what what's not to love about it? It was different. It was original. It played really nicely. It, it had that basic concept of you know wanting to clean up in a game that you know wanting to hoover up all the items that's that's pretty standard but i love the way it evolved i mean the final level of the game you start at a size where you're rolling up paper clips and erasers and pencils yeah by the time you get to the end of the level you're so big you're picking up the level and i mean that and the way that evolution just flows so nicely <laughs> through it and i mean the characterization you know king of all cosmos you know this all happened because he was on the piss and he destroyed it all i mean i just there's just nothing not to love about this game i mean you know T takahashi i think it's a, it's a shame really that he hasn't done more i know he's kind of his relationship with with games is a bit hot and cold and he, he has got something in, in the pipeline now I mean Nob Nobby Nobby Boy his next game was, was you know, so odd but really great in a very peculiar way and you know what what, what a what a great creative talent and probably we love Kat Katamari the second game was arguably the better game I think probably as an overall package that was the best of the series but for me just because of the nostalgia of the first game and and the way I discovered it and that 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 will always be something that's really really close to my heart. Surprisingly, it had it did have quite for for such a strange game. It did have quite a few sequels, and for a period of time, mm. it was quite successful for Namco. Um, coming out of this school project that only cost a million to make, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's just the only sad thing about it really was that. Um, uh, yeah, Takahashi didn't hang around to do any more. He did the first. He didn't want to do the second, but when he realised that um, Namco was going to do it anyway, he was just like, "Well, you know, if someone's going to do it, I want to be there to make sure that it's all right." And, you know, the second <laughs> game is brilliant. And then after that, he was just like, "Fine, do what you want." Kind of like, and you know, Metal Gear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the later games were fine, um, but they've never, you know, the, the absence of that kind of that that genius at the heart of it, you know, is felt. And I mean, there's also some, some slightly murkier stuff. The Xbox 361, like you couldn't get with the achievements unless you bought the DLC and things like this. And, you know, uh, Namco is one of those companies that, 
you know, its track record with business practices is perhaps not as squeaky clean as you'd like. And unfortunately, you know, the Katamari series kind of got <clears throat> caught up in that a bit. But um, I believe they trademarked a new Katamari game the other day. So, I mean, if they brought it back, you know, I'd be there. I'd play it. I think it's, it's, it's a great idea. And um, Did you play Touch My Katamari for the PlayStation Vita? I did, yeah. How did you like that? Because I actually really enjoyed that game. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was fine. It was fine. I mean, I think it, it kind of suffered from the same thing as all of the later Katamari games in that, you know, they're not really adding anything new as such. And, you know, there's, you can only replay really the same stuff over and over again. And yeah. um, it, it, it was fine. I mean, I played I played the, the iPhone version. And, you know, that was okay. Um, but, you know, I'd always much rather go back and play Katamari Damasio. We love Katamari because, you know, that's... Uh, the series at its absolute best, you know, peaked right in the beginning. It's a very odd series, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what Wonderful. Is, what is like? <laughs> so obviously, you uh, you've chosen a lot of Japanese games, so you must have employed a lot. Uh, mm. What are some other weird, crazy Japanese games that you have imported um, oh, that God. you sort of enjoyed as well? I'm always interested in importing imported stories, especially now because I live in Japan, so I get to see these games firsthand. And yeah, you've it's got kind of quick almost like a, to them. yeah. It's, unfortunately, it's not as a privileged position as it was back in the day because now we get a lot of Japanese games, or there, there's barely any uniquely Japanese games on the shelves. Actually, mostly just anime titles. Yeah, it's not the same as it once was. I mean, I I remember you know importing Animal Crossing before that was released in the West, uh, and using the freeloader to play that on the GameCube. Um, that I I mean, I, you know, we've spoken about Nintendo, and really, kind of, you'd think on the face of it, Animal Crossing is exactly the sort of thing I wouldn't like. But I love the first Animal Crossing. I really love that game. Yeah. Um, I remember importing Beautiful Joe as well on the GameCube. Um, which did come out in the end. That was a great game. I remember on PS2 importing. Do you remember Vib Ribbon? Yep, I do. Um, actually, there's a sequel called Vib. Oh, what was it called? It's the second game in the series. And rather than bouncing the um, the the guy along the black and white line, it imported your photos and you bounced on them like a, it was a trampoline. I can't remember what it was called, but I paid something like fifty quid for that game. And it, was shy. it was really <laughs> shy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I used, I used to love those. I mean, more recently, I uh, I still got an Xbox 360, and what I mean, we'll touch upon this. Um, I think with the next game, so maybe yes. I might start on that. But yes, there's another line of games I like to import as well. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, we might as well. That was a wonderful uh, transition into <laughs> yes. the next game. You did my job perfectly for me. <laughs> so we are going to move on to your next game, a game I have no idea about. Um, so I'm very interested here because I do like the genre that this game is a part of. Um, so let's listen to some music if I can find some and then dive straight into it.
Okay, Ben, so the next game on your list is developed by Shoot 'em Up Kings Cave. They're just the geniuses in this genre. Uh, it originally released as a sequel to Espagaluda in the arcades in Japan in 2005. It was released for the Xbox 360 worldwide in 2010. Instead of having to rapidly like tap a button like most shoot-em-ups, this game required you to just hold down the button and then fire bullets all over the screen while you were moving. Uh, it also released for the iPhone and Android devices as well. Um, I've never heard of it. It's called Espagaluda 2. Well done. <laughs> ben. You've not heard of it? No, I have not. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I, you know, obviously fanboys are the worst people in the world and deserve to be rounded up and, and shot. But if I'm a fanboy of anything, it is Cave. Um, I've always kind of had a passing interest in, in the shmup genre and would kind of, you know, sample them here and there. <clears throat> but um, I used to work with a guy called Will Freeman, um, who would be great on this program, incidentally. He used to work on Develop, and now he's a freelancer and writes for The Guardian, writes for all sorts of people. Um, talented writer, really one of, just one of the best people I know. Okay. And um, he he is he will he will not admit this, but he is a fantastic shmup player. He says he's average, but I've seen him play. He's, he's incredible, and his knowledge on the subject is absolutely unparalleled. And it was working with him that kind of sparked re-sparked this interest in the genre um for me and uh he got me uh back into cave games and really they are just <clears throat> the masters of their art they I mean, absolutely it, are yes yeah so much so that actually i find it's kind of ruined the overall genre for me because any well, not any but a lot of shmups i play if they're not cave kind of by default i don't like them because in held in comparison to cave they they, they they, they, uh, you know, they don't compare well. They just, there are exceptions. Obviously, there are lots of shmups I do like on Cape and Crimson Clover came out on PC. I think last year, brilliant game. So stuff like Ikaruga. Oh, see, I'm not a fan of Ikaruga Radiant at all. Silver Gun, all those. Yeah, I mean, Ikaruga. I know is kind of like the critics' favourite. I really, I, I don't think Ikaruga is a great shmup at all. I appreciate the mechanics, um, and I think it's got a nice visual style. But I think compared to you know, your average cave release, it really is a very, very average shooter. Um, you can take any one of cave games and find just wonders within it. I mean, the way cave marries together, first of all, you know, bullet hell, as we know the term, you know, that's a cave game is bullet hell. I mean, sometimes, you know, the patterns you find through these bullets and you survive, you, you feel like a god. I mean, and the, yeah, way, absolutely. And the way they make it, the screen can look like a solid colour of of bullets but there is there is a pattern <laughs> there is a way to survive there is a way to move that will get you through it they combine that with um uh fantastic scoring mechanics that often are completely hidden or they're not obvious they're not explained to you you know you, you have to kind of really delve into the communities online to try and figure out these scoring mechanics but then yeah. once you you understand them and suddenly that's what that's the magic of a cave game. That's when it all clicks into place. When you finally get your head around a scoring system and you know how to manipulate it and to play it to to get the scores. And of course, you have to work that whilst you're whilst you're playing the game, you're still trying to survive through this storm of enemy bullets. You're still trying to shoot the enemies yourself. And whilst you're doing that, were that not complicated enough, you're trying to play off this you know, fairly murky scoring system. But once it all clicks in together and you are surviving, you are defeating enemies and you're playing that scoring system, there is just no better feeling in gaming. And for me, Espagluda 2 is just, just the one for me where 
the balance between all those elements is is just right and it works the best um and amazingly i think the best version is is the ios version which you wouldn't think i mean when k first released their, their shmups on smartphone you, you just you thought well this is you know this is not going to work any more than super mario brothers would work you know you need that you need that joystick in your that hand tactile you need feedback big... in your hand of... mm, but actually yeah. it works perfectly because um it, it, it simplifies the controls in a way which i think it has to work but the touch element of moving your finger precisely where you need to be is actually the most precise control there is and then as we alluded to they um, adapted the awakening score mechanic um, for the smartphone in just such a perfect way. It just works so perfectly. And out of all the versions, that's <clears throat> that's the one I play again and again. And I mean, it's, you know, it's the reason why every time it comes to renew my phone, I think, oh yeah, maybe I should jump to Android. So, oh, but then I lose Espergluder too. I mean, it's just a wonderful game. And um, <laughs> I still have a 360 now because of the. Um, I mean, we had a few cave games that were released. Through Rising Star, officially. yeah. Actually, speaking of that, because um, I haven't played too many cave games, but the cave games I have are the Dodonpachi uh, games, uh, specifically Dodonpachi Resurrection, which is a cave Rising Star uh, joint, um, and that's the kind of experience I have. So I'm very interested to hear why Espergaluda is is better because it, it makes me want to play it. I do really enjoy these games. Um, just I love sitting down, giving it a go for ten minutes, dying, leaving it for like <laughs> a couple of weeks, coming back and then trying again. Um, but my extent of knowledge, apart from like Ikaru and that kind of stuff, uh, with cave games is the Dodonpachi series. Yeah, I mean Dodonpachi is is um, a lot of people's favourite. I mean, I like Dodonpachi Resurrection as much as anyone. Um, I, I do prefer Spagluda. I also prefer Mushihime-sama or Bug Princess, as it was called over here. Um, Death Smiles is is great as well. Very kind of quite different Death Smiles to other cave games. But it works perfectly well. See, um, Death Smiles is it's very funny. Speaking of uh, collections that you passed on, uh, when I was working a game, there was this box, this special limited edition box of Death Smiles. This huge big box. I don't know what was in it, but I had no idea what what the game was, and it was only like fifteen pounds. And I always thought, I'll buy it. Just It looks a kind of anime shooter. Maybe I'll buy it. No one bought it for the whole time I worked in game. And then I forgot about it and I didn't get it. But I always think when anyone ever speaks of like shooters, I should have bought that. I should have bought that <laughs> It's a great game. You should have done. Things, it's quite difficult for Cave because, you know, they, they exist in a world where people spend money on something like, you know, Call of Duty and get hundreds of hours out of it. So... To, I mean, on the face of it, if you don't kind of understand the appeal of it, the real appeal of a cave game <clears throat> is the scoring system and then trying to 1cc it, so completing it in one credit. But the thing is that that's, the 1cc is not imposed on you by the game in any way. When you die in the game, you can press continue and you can carry on with no punishment other than your score going back to zero. So if you're not score chasing, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, if you're not 1cc chasing, it doesn't matter. It actually, when played like that, I think the games are very poor. When there's no incentive not to die, when there's no risk because you lose nothing upon death, then it doesn't matter. And I think if you play through the game in that way because you don't know anything else about it, yeah. then it's not a great experience. And if you've spent 20 quid, 15 quid, 10 quid, even 5 quid on that, you're not going to like it. The, 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 these games come into their own when 
the the player imposes their own rules when the player want decides I want to beat high school or or more so when the player decides I want to one cc now one cc in a cave game is not easy I'm not a great gamer by any stretch I have one cc that's the glued two of one cc the bug princess uh, sorry Mishima Samfatari um, bug princess two. Um, and I mean, that feels like an epic achievement. That is one of those things when you do it, you kind of stand aloft and you expect all around you to bow because, you know, when, when an onlooker <laughs> looks at a cave game, when someone knows nothing about a game looks at a cave game, it just looks impossible. It, it just it, of looks like a clutter not. of stuff happening on the screen all at once. Absolutely, but, it, but it's not. And it's just like any other game. It's just a learned mechanic and I think anyone's capable of doing it. And I mean, there are there are easy modes out there as well. I've never once CC'd an ultra mode, but... On those two games, I've won CC the normal standard mode, and uh, it's just it's just phenomenal experience. You can't go wrong with any cave games, but um, if if you're willing to approach them with that mentality, willing to approach them right, I want to achieve one CC, or I want to understand the scoring mechanic. Um, it's a unique experience. I don't think you can get anywhere else. And, and Cave, I think, the absolute masters at it. I just just love them. Wonderful. It's a shame that they they've struggled. I think they struggled to adapt their their releases to kind of the new business models. Um, yeah. I think their, I, their iOS games, whilst they're great, <clears throat> you know, it's hard to sell a 10 quid iOS game, particularly one under the conditions I just described. So, yeah. so then they tried doing it under a free-to-play model um, with in-app purchases, which is just not suited at all. There can be no pay-to-win condition in these games or it just destroys them. Um, so And then at the same time, so they tried digital releases on consoles. That didn't really work out either. The latest thing is these their digital releases on Steam. And again, they're charging 15 quid a shot, which, you know, I think, you know, I pay, I would pay £100 for Super Gluda because it's such a wonderful game. But if you're looking, asking the average punter to pay 15 quid for a game like that, I think you're going to struggle. And, and, and Cave has struggled with I've this. Always, I'm not... I've always sort of wondered why it wouldn't work, and I'm probably an idiot for even suggesting it, is why games that are sort of arcade-like, like shoot-em-ups, um, stuff that is traditionally in a Japanese arcade, why they don't have, like, one penny per go kind of systems, like, because there are 100 yen in Japan, which is, like, 70p, so if you want one go. then And no one sort of bats an eyelid at that because it's an arcade, but... If you're trying to sell an iPhone game, obviously free-to-play works, but why not like a penny a go and you can just keep tapping it and you can have 15 goes for 15p, but it would all accumulatively add up for the developer making their cost back. So, yeah, I think there's a legitimate argument for trying that model. You can download the game for free, maybe try it free for once, and then if you want to play again, you know, you pay a token amount, 10p or whatever. Yeah, and so then, just um... like if you were inserting coins into an arcade machine. But yeah, I mean, very, very I, I don't low see... Price. Yeah, it could work. It's probably worth trying. I think, um, like any like any of these things, as soon as you put up a, a barrier to entry, even if it's a penny, you're still asking people to 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 pay for something um, every time. You know, the more frequently you ask people to pay for something, the more the more irritated they're likely to come. So even if it was a low amount, if after every go you're saying, "Right, if you want to play again, pay." Uh, that's not to say it wouldn't work. I think it's probably worth a try. But I can see why why someone would be uh would be cautious of it but you know drop cave alliance suggested to him I'd, I'd love them to find a, a model that works for them because i'd love these games to thrive it's a genre that looked like it's going to die away and then sort of the digital games revolution happened and it, it, it sort of come back to life and that's great but but cave have never really kind of found their place and oh my god i'd love a thriving cave there'd be nothing better see i think this could fit for like many types of japanese arcade like even like street of rage or uh, sure. similar beam-ups like that where 
Japanese developers want to sell those games for quite a bit of money. Like the Final Fantasy games on the iOS are like five pounds pushing it. And that kind of stuff Mm. just doesn't fly on the App Store. But I'd be much more willing to have a system where I don't have to put 15 quid in to play Streets of Rage 2 on my iPhone. Um, But if I could just drop like 2p a go when I want to... And I accumulatively spend maybe four pounds in my entire play, like entire lifetime of having that phone. They've got four pounds out of me instead of nothing, and I don't feel like I've spent very much. I don't know. Maybe it could work for many different types of Japanese arcades to iPhone games where they don't quite get the pricing right. Yeah, I think there's a working business model there. <laughs> this is how you're going to make your fortune. <laughs> we'll see. Trademarked. Trademarked. No one take. No one take that. I've come up with three ideas on this show. All have uh, my guests have told me have been good ideas, but not not that I've invested into yet. <laughs> well, now's the time. Once we're done here. <laughs> well, speaking of games um, that maybe are not unknown, but I think the next two games, uh, the the final two games for your list today, are defend it games. You're gonna. I think you're gonna have to defend these games and prove yeah. to me why you've chosen, why these games deserve to be on this this specific list that you you spent so much time deciding over. That you kept emailing me all week, Liam. Please gonna have nine, Liam. Please gonna have ten. I can't do this. This is brutal. But you, these two games are very surprising to me. The next one in particular. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Was, the next one. That yeah. was on the kind of, that was the, the last one that I, I felt I had to shoot on in. It was, it was difficult. Well, let's listen to some music and talk about it. So Ben, the penultimate game on your list today um, is directed by infamous storyteller David Cage and his team at Quantic Dream. Uh, it was originally released for the PlayStation 3 in February of 2010. Uh, players take on the role of multiple characters uh, as the game tells the story of the origami killer. Most of the gameplay is restricted to uh, certain quick time sequences that depend on the player's inputs, have like various outcomes, some that are good, some that are bad, some that are just average. Uh, initially, on release, it received uh, a lot of praise and actually received uh, pretty high scores, but since then, it's sort of become negatively received, uh, especially as we move towards games, uh, this argument that how can a game be a game without much gameplay? We have a lot of walking simulators as it's uh being termed now 
this game uh, sort of it's looked back at as being kind of like one of those games and not actually being a game. It's Heavy Rain. Ben. <laughs> For I'm the sorry. love of all that is holy on the Normandy. How has Heavy Rain made it onto your list today? <sighs> right. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. I mean, my, my former workmate, Rob Crossley was a game spot. If he catches wind of this, he will have such serious words with me. He'll be so cross. <laughs> no, he'll be so cross with me. And you know, when I was putting this list together, this there was the final spot that I couldn't get it down. And there were so many games I could have chosen instead of Heavy Rain. You know, I could have gone for Mass Effect, you know, the Mass Effect trilogy, Seaman on the Dreamcast. Virtual Cop on the Saturn. Oh, God, there are so many. You know, Deus Ex, Human Revolution, Grand Theft Auto V. How can you not include Grand Theft Auto V? Grand Turismo V. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are so many. But ultimately, I had to think, like, right, what games have meant the most to me? And Heavy Rain. I get all the criticism. I really do. Um, at the same time, I've not been emotionally affected by a game quite so much as i think i have by heavy rain um and i think it it purely comes down to to one reason people go on about oh it's bad writing it's bad writing you know bearing in mind most people who criticize bad writing are doing it on fucking near gap on their keyboard like you know can't even fucking spell writing let alone term (laughs) describe what bad writing is so you know a lot of that criticism can can do one because people got no yeah i don't yeah, you know, I, I can. Yeah, there is a, wow, there's a the definitive line between the the fans who comment on things and actual professional people who develop video games. There's obviously exactly. that line. Yeah. At the same time, you know, I when I play Heavy Rain, there are elements of it. I think, oh, do you know what? I'm not sure. I, I, and I get that. I, I really do get that. But for me, and I hate to, to drag out the old line of as a parent because you hear it so much, but it's true. You know. Um, being a, a parent, as I am, you know, being a parent is, is you know, the single most character-defining thing in my life. That is the thing that shaped me more than anything else. It's the thing that's changed me. It's the, things that, the thing that means the most for me. I've only just recently concluded, you know, um, a period where, you know, I was in the courts fighting for what I felt was right for my daughter. You know, nothing matters more. I've literally given up my life for that girl. And, you know, great. I don't begrudge that. It's brilliant. It's the best. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And all I, basically, it just means that parental instinct is such a strong fundamental thing. That is why so much media plays off it. It's such an easy heartstring to tug and have an effect on someone. Um, but with Heavy Rain, the two bits I remember most about Heavy Rain were, you know, at the beginning, Jason, Jason. Yeah. And as ridiculous as that is, taking out of context, <laughs> you know, press sex to Jason. Yeah, that is funny. I get that. God, that was harrowing. That was a real harrowing experience because any parent has been in that situation where you're out in a public place with your kid and, you know, they're not on a leash. They're not a dog. You have to give them some freedom. And there's that, you know, moment where you turn around and you can't immediately see them. So you just call out, you know, Lara. Here I am. Okay, great. But then there's that time you call out, Lara, she's not there. Lara, you call out again. Still no response. You look around the second corner. Good, she's there. Fine. But then there's that time. It's the third, the, first, the third time you call her, the fourth time you call her. And we've all been in that situation where you finally call out, you know, Lara, really seriously. Because yeah, you, when you're like starting to panic a little bit. Yeah. And there is no feeling like that. The sheer, the, the things that go through your head in that instant. Oh my God, the terror. 
and the relief when you find them, right? So to, but to play a game sequence where that situation is not resolved um, and you can't find them, and then when you do find them, you know, that happens. It was, I had to put down the controller after that opening level and I couldn't play the game again for a couple of days because I was shaking. It was horrible. Um, but I did go back to it. And, you know, there were th- lots of things I loved about this game. And I do remember... I. I never felt so invested in characters as I did in this game. When it got to the end sequence, you know, I had to save Sean. My God, it wasn't like optional. It wasn't like, you know, it was an option to fail that level. It was an option to unlock one of the other endings. I was emotionally invested in the need to save that child above all else. And I, you know, a couple of times I I turned off and reloaded from a save because there was no way I wasn't going to save that child. And to finally do so and have him reunited with the dad, you know, I, I really cried. I cried loads. And, you know, the, the kind of the other stuff, the, the origami killer and the FBI dude and all of that, you know, whatever, really. I mean, that was fine. But it was, I felt like I had a an obligation to save that child and save that family. And it it was an, it pulled on my heartstrings in a way no, no other game had. And I just ultimately felt, how can I not include an experience like that on that list when it really affected me in a, in a way that no other games achieved? Your experience is very different from mine. Obviously, I, I'm not a father. <laughs> I don't particularly mm. plan on being one anytime soon, no, uh, no, if at all. <laughs> um, yeah, don't. It's a nightmare. <laughs> and for me, Heavy Rain was this... Uh, it was two things. It was, it was at the time a very good experience and it was very different. There wasn't anything like that. Whereas now there mm. was a lot of things like that. Mm. And I think that's why it's negatively received. At that time, it was very much its own thing. And people were like, wow, look at this new experience, this weird, strange, emotional story. Um, I played Heavy Rain in one day. Um, oh, wow. I played through all of it in one day with a couple of friends and we were passing the control around. Obviously, it didn't involve much input. Um, I think the thing that pissed me off so much was that <laughs> you play as the detective a lot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he is like the white knight. He's the crowning human being, the excellent detective who who is very... He, he treats people very nicely. He's very well-spoken. He seems like a lovable, lovely guy. He's the killer. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, <laughs> honestly, I've never, <laughs> I've never been so like many games have upset me, but I've never been so disappointed with an outcome, especially considering the one scene where you're in like the shop and you are playing him. And then all of a sudden it cuts to the other character and then you go in the back and the shopkeeper's dead. Oh my god, who killed him? It couldn't have been the detective. I was playing the detective, and it disguises that by the game giving, allowing the game to just be like, no, fuck you, I'm taking control off you so that character can go do something um, for plot convenience. And oh, it destroyed me. Yeah, do you know, I mean, I get it, I get it. <laughs> um, it's not something that particularly angered me at the time. I quite like the reveal because there are actually, there's a few steps few places in the game which you, you realize it's him um i've spoken to people and and there are there are people who realized it before me people who realized it after me i kind of realized it in one of the flashbacks and yeah. there's a reference to a brother that tied into something else he'd said and you know for me um yeah i get all your criticisms i just remember thinking oh my god it was him and wow you know it, it was a reveal i didn't expect so in that respect it was it was quite exciting 
Um, yeah, I think upon analysis, perhaps it doesn't hold up. Um, I'm not going to argue with anything you said. Um, but for me, all of that kind of pales in comparison to the kind of emotional meaning of the experience. And it, it sounds so... Um, Oh, but it's an awful thing to say, but like, you know, I do think you have to be a parent to understand. And I know parents are really tiresome the way they trot this line out. Oh, you understand when you're a dad or you understand when you're a mum. And it is patronising and we are annoying. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's true. I, I, I think if you play this game without being a parent, without having that in your life, the, the emotional resonance is not going to be anywhere near as strong. It's not going to mean as much. Um, the nature of becoming a parent and being a parent you know, it shapes everything about you. So it's such an easy, it's such an easy thing for, you know, people to pull on for, for movies, films, whatever. You pull on that yeah. thing, you've got someone. Um, so, you know, I don't dispute any of your criticism. It's all completely fair. But for whatever reason, for, for me, this game just struck or something really raw and really meaningful. Yeah. And to get to the end and feel like actually, you know, it wasn't like watching a film where you know a character you're perceiving saves the day i felt like i i saved that boy you know i felt like the decisions i made this the 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 things i accomplished i saved sean um although of course it was um ethan you know as as the protagonist are uh, uh, your beings become intertwined and i felt like i saved that boy and i saved that family and it, ben it, Parfit, it just, local hero yeah yeah that's right <laughs> ben Parfit, family hero um and you know that was a really meaningful experience for me and yeah i loved it i'll I'll stick up for that game despite the fact it's clearly shit in lots of ways <laughs> so have you thought about the consequences of taking such an emotional game onto a ship where you're n- never going to see your daughter again <sighs> no <laughs> no you put it like that what a ridiculous idea yeah we'll drop that drop that and give me the mass effect trilogy instead you convince me too late. <laughs> <laughs> Just quickly before we move on to your next game, then, sort of to balance it out, then, um, what did did you play Beyond Two Souls? And yeah, I did play that. Yeah. What did you think of that? Obviously, this didn't have the sort of emotional experience that you could have no. had with the Heavy Rain. So, did this show you what a Quantic Dream game is actually really like without those emotions? Do you know what? I've not quite thought about it in those terms, but but now you say it like that, yeah, you may well be right. I, I mean, I, I played Beyond the Two Dreams, and I liked it enough to complete it, which, again, as I say, I don't often complete stuff, and I did complete it. I, I, I don't really think I came away from that experience thinking, wow, that was brilliant. I thought it, the elements of it were great. I didn't especially enjoy it, to be honest. I didn't really feel attached to many of the characters. I thought the whole kind of floaty, disconnected, mechanic thing when you're floating about the rooms was a bit a bit naff there's some nice sequences like when you go to that party and you kind of fuck with them a bit that was cool but no i didn't really enjoy it as much and i think perhaps you're right it's because it was really the emotional connection of the first game that, that got me rather than the game itself maybe yeah well there is a new quantic dream coming out game coming out soon isn't it Kara or whatever it's called um or is that the tech demo there's a game. No, based that's, around... I think they are expanding it into a full game, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that's the actual name though. Um, I forgot what the what's the name of the game. It's to do with a city in America, isn't it? Is it Detroit? Uh, it, that's the name of the game. Yes, isn't it? Detroit. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Are you excited about that at all? Or yeah, do you know what I mean? I mean, any 
developer or studio that has made something that's touched me so much, you're always going to look at anything they do in the future and think, yeah, I'll give that a go. I mean, I, I don't necessarily go into high expectations, but sometimes that's for the best, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, I think you defended that pretty well, I admit. Yeah, did I um, win? Um, not sure if you win. But pretty sure I won. I, I, I think you saved your dignity. <laughs> yeah that's that's a victory i'll take that <laughs> i feel bad i i'm this is the worst i've ever hit down on a game i think i just have bad feelings towards heavy rain because of the whole shelby being the detective thing <laughs> being the yeah, killer I thing you, i think you might give me a bit of grief about the next game as well aren't you? well i'm not as much as i think other people would mm. i'm not not as bad because i i don't think it's a bad game in any way it's just not the Good. strongest in the series and we'll get into it right now by listening to some music and talking about the last game The final game for the Normandy game catalogue in space for you, Mr. Ben Parfit, is the sequel to the beloved Dark Souls, <laughs> developed by From Software, uh, but the only game in the series and uh, the only game of its type by From Software that is not directed by Hide Taka Miyazaki. It released for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC in March of 2014. Uh, it received a next-gen re-release for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One last year in the Scholar of the First Sin edition. Although it received excellent reviews and high scores, it is regarded as uh, the weakest entry in the series, and many fans of the Soul series don't particularly like it. You've chosen Dark Souls 2, a game I never thought this would appear on this list because of the other games in the series. Not because it's a bad game, but Mr. Ben Parfit, please tell me why the last game on your list today is Dark Souls 2. Well, probably just in part to be contrary, but no, legitimately, <laughs> legitimately this, <clears throat> right. I, I probably, there's a difference between, um, when I was putting this list together, there are three lists, really that you can you, uh, i found myself juggling in my mind one list was a kind of right you've only got eight games forever what eight games are going to be best as a kind of group playing off each other and in that list you know i had things like fifa 14 and hearthstone and stuff like that yeah <clears> which are great that games practically play for all of eternity yeah all things also i think modern warfare was in there i wanted a bit you know i wanted a shooter i wanted a racer i wanted a this i wanted a that so you can put kind of this 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 list of eight games together that's kind of a rounded thing you think right if i take those with me then 
no matter what mood I'm in, there's going to be something I want to play. Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. Then there's the list of the best games of all time. Now, there are some crossover. I think Super Mario World is one of the best games of all time. You know, Heavy Raid wouldn't make it onto that list, obviously. <laughs> what um, were, interestingly, what were some of those games on the best games of all time? Oh, do you know, I can't, I can't necessarily remember. Now, I think maybe Gran Turismo 5. Um, and certainly Dark Souls 1 was one of them. Because I think Dark Souls 1 is the best game in the series you know it has the best world it has the best law yeah um and that sort of thing at the same time the other list is my favorite games and whilst I yes. think dark souls is the best game dark souls 2 is my favorite game in that series because i mean dark for, well for a start all this b team business about dark souls 2 is largely nonsense i think the crossover in staff count between those games is something like 75%. You know, most of the people who worked on Dark Souls 1 worked on Dark Souls 2. And, you know, Miyazaki himself was not completely isolated from that project. He was involved. And whilst Dark Souls is better in some respects, like the intertwined world of Dark Souls obviously is a thing of glory. I mean, you know, at the moment I'm reading Keza and Jason's book, you died about it. Oh, you know, can't it's wait wonderful. To get my hand on I can't, oh, I, it's, it's hard it's to get hold of in Japan because. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't have a Kindle or anything, so I can't read it, the digital uh, version. And uh, getting it sent over here would mean waiting like six weeks or something. So I haven't been able to do it yet, but I definitely want to read it. It's worth reading for sure. And and Rich Stanton did that amazing piece on, because on Eurogamer a couple of weeks back talking yeah. about the law. And I mean, what, you know, it, you read stuff like that. And, you know, it, it, the love for the first game becomes completely apparent and obvious. And I love the first game. I, I really do love the first game. Yeah. But the things I, I, that Dark Souls 2 does do some things better, undoubtedly, I think. The world perhaps is not as good, although I think some of the locations are wonderful. Um, the lore perhaps is not as good. Although, again, um, I was listening to the Twin Humanities podcast a few weeks back, and I'm really sorry, I forget the name of the guy who did it, but someone delivered a very eloquent uh, summary of the events in Dark Souls 2 and how they meant it something was, to him. It was probably CJ, because um, he is a big proponent of Dark Souls 2 as well. Right. And, you know, it, it was beautiful. So there is it, there are there is beauty about the lore and about the world. But the thing that fundamentally, because uh, I, I don't especially play Dark Souls for the lore. I mean, Dark Souls is a game that on paper should not appeal to me at all. You know, I'm not particularly into hard games, although, of course, I like Cave, but I think that's kind of, that's sort of an arcade <laughs> You say that, challenge. but you have chosen, like, a Souls game and a shoot-em-up game. Yeah, true. But, I mean, if you ask me, uh, like, for instance, I started to play Doom last night. Um, I, I put it on easy, and I felt guilty about doing it because you're guilted, you know, as, as I think Rich Stanton um, um, was, was probably saying to you, you know, you're kind of guilted into, oh, you've got to be good. You know, you're in the games industry, you've got to be good. Get you know, good. I, exactly, get good. But, you know, I don't play Doom for the challenge. I play Doom because I want an arcade shooter experience. So g- generally, um, challenge isn't necessarily my thing. RPGs aren't necessarily my thing. Certainly not. I mean, a map is not my thing. I mean, that's mental. Uh, and the first couple of times I played Dark Souls, I completely bounced off it, and uh, it didn't do anything for me at all. But, you know, okay. you end up being exposed to so many people who love the game. Yeah. And eventually I got into it, because lots of people say to you, oh, you have to go into Dark Souls blind. The best way to enjoy it is blind. Well, I tried going into it blind, and it kept not working for me. I'd given yeah. up. And how it worked for me in the end was I, I started watching a couple of Let's Plays. And having just given me that that grasp on actually these are the fundamentals. This is how it works. This is how you kind of at the beginning orientate yourself and get about. That that was the kind of 
the, the helping hand I needed to get me going. And uh, eventually you just hit that point where I, I got into it so much that I did fall in love and went on, you know, to complete Dark Souls um, and absolutely adore it. But Dark Souls 2, um, I I think, you know, so what I was saying before was as much as the lore and all of that is great, the thing I love is the mechanics it's not the law. I appreciate the law and it's great. And, you know, I read articles about it. It's wonderful. I love the mechanics. I love the tinkering of the leveling, the tinkering of your equipment. You know, are you going to go for a dex build with your S stock? Um, or are you, you know, going to go for a strength build and maybe go for fugs or, or a claymore or something. And then, you know, in dark souls two, as in three, um, you can go all the way down one path, you know, you can go for a maximum strength character and then actually decide, no, I'm going to swap. I've got all the items I went through the game and eat it, so I'm going to swap. I'm going to become a sorcerer warrior and, you know, not use a shield at all and carry a catalyst. And and I love all of that. I love playing with the builds. I love the huge variety of ways you can approach the game. You know, you can yeah. strength character, dex character, caster, uh, miracles, um, you know, backstabs, parries, um, you know, the, the flexibility is incredible. And then fashion souls as well, you know, specking up your armor, <laughs> looking different. I love all of that. And Dark Souls 2 did all of that better than it did Dark Souls Dark Souls 1 did. Um, the, you know, we had um, dual wielding and power stancing. And really, I mean, I've had so many different experiences of that game. You know, if you're playing as a, a power stance guy with a great sword and, yeah. a, and, a, and a claim or whatever, or you're going, um, you know, for a a dex build with a catalyst or, 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 um, you know, using miracles, you know, with a, with an S-Doc or I remember dual, dual wielding rapiers and, and each of these leads to a completely different experience of the game. And that's the thing I love, but, but even the ways in which the game is lamented, I think are unfair. You know, there are lots of memorable locations in that game. Um, you know, Hyde's Tower of Flame, I love Lost Bastille. I love wandering around the Lost Bastille. You know, Undead Purgatory has so much um, atmosphere about it. You know, Black Gulch is dreadful. Black Brightstone Cove um, again has a new, new character, uh, another character to it. The Dragon Airy, what a beautiful place to be. And then the memories and all of that. And yeah, I I don't think anyone have has too much of an issue with. Uh... Obviously, the the because everywhere in Dark Souls is very memorable. People have their they're always so distinct. Uh, mm. Each area it has its own personality. And Dark Souls 2 carries that over. I think one of the major issues people have with Dark Souls 2 is that they try to make these grand levels, but sort of funnel them into areas where you could, you'd have to fight mobs of people, which sort of took away from the whole sort of being able to move in a larger space or trying to use the area to your advantage i think the areas looked pretty they were but they were a lot more square if you get me yeah i mean overall i'm not going to argue that the the world and level design is better in two it, it is you know quite evidently better in one certainly um so yeah that that's right but i guess it's for me just because i'm such a fan of the mechanics and the character tweaking and how you approach the combat and two gave you so much more flexibility in that specific respect yeah. um, that it, it really appealed to me. I mean, two is the game where I I feel most familiar. You know, I could pick up a controller now and start a new two run and probably be fine um, to a point. You know, I, I'm, I'm that familiar with it. Whereas, whereas one probably 
is not quite the same. So the part of this decision for me is is purely my own personal attachment to it. I do recognise one is the better game, but for me, I think what two does well are the things that I love, and that's why I love that game more. Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, three will be the one that uh, I end up loving. I mean, I'm playing through that at the moment, and it seems fantastic. Yeah, three is uh, three is a blast. I haven't finished yet. Um, I put it on hold for a bit for a, a couple of games I was reviewing, um, but I just can't wait to get back in and play it. It, it felt like it took everything Dark Souls One and Dark Souls Two did good in each other. Uh, so level designs yeah. in one, the lore, the world building, and then that sort of customization options that you had in Dark Souls Two crunched them together. Oh. And had the atmosphere uh, of Bloodborne, that sort of creepy atmosphere. Yeah, I was really pleased how much of 2 it carried over, actually. I was worried because of what I think is a com- the completely unfair reactions to you know, things. That's the thing with the internet. You can't have something that's great and then something that's still pretty good but not as great. If you have something that's great and the next thing isn't as good, it's terrible and it's bad and it's beating. <laughs> you know, that's not true at all. I mean, you can completely, as you have done, argue why Dark Souls is the better game. And I agree that it probably is. But I, I think you can't argue that Dark Souls 2 is a bad game. You can argue no, that it's not as good, not. but it's still clearly great. But if you go on Reddit or anywhere, you know, as soon as Dark Souls 2 is mentioned, it's just like, you know, oh, it's terrible. It's very Evidently, strange. Really, it's not. It's very strange, really, because these past two games are... Uh, Good examples of this. Both the past two games we've spoken about, Heavy Rain and Dark Souls 2, critically reviewed 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 8 out of 10. They were not badly reviewed in any way. I think Heavy Rain maybe received some mediocre reviews, but mostly super positive. Dark Souls 2, still 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very, very strange that games like that, just because for reasons uh, Heavy Rain very different to Dark Souls 2 whereas Dark Souls 2 was comparing to its older brother (laughs) and its older brother was loved by everyone (laughs) yeah absolutely following off that game is always nightmarish Um, the only thing that didn't carry over which disappointed me I I quite like the power stance from Dark Souls 2 although you can do wield weapons in 3 you don't have that thing where sometimes two weapons allow for different stance well, that sort of that sort of evolved into the the like special moves that you could do in Dark Souls 3 yeah that's, some of those special moves were a bit Street Fighter-esque on that. <laughs> that I think the power stance what you could the moves you could do in the power stance have sort of been moulded and transitioned over to the uh, special moves that you could do with each individual weapon in Dark Souls 3 but again, they've done um, some really great innovations. I love the Mound Makers. I mean, I'm not a big PvP when it comes to Dark Souls, but I have been dabbling a bit with the Mound Makers. It kind of straddles the line between red and blue invasions. Um, you know, some of the game world again seems fantastic. It controls yeah. really nicely. When we when the trailers first came out in the early videos, it looked very Bloodborne, and uh, you know, I got nothing yeah, against Bloodborne. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like Bloodborne. It's great. I don't think i love it as much as a souls game although again i think you can probably argue that bloodborne arguably is the best souls game but anyway uh, um, i'm glad dark souls I'd... 3 isn't bloodborne yeah it looked like it might be i'm glad it's its own thing and it's more souls than bloodborne definitely i think i think a lot of the atmospheric i think what from software did with bloodborne is they nailed atmosphere dark souls had great oh, atmosphere. God, so well they they nailed it had good atmosphere but it was the world building and uh, that was good but it didn't have an atmosphere. Sometimes it just felt like generic fantasy RPG. Um, mm. Whereas Bloodborne was just this atmospheric masterpiece. It was so good. Mm. And Dark Souls 3 seems to have a lot more atmosphere about it. Um, 
it, lots of the areas have their own feeling and I think especially one area of Dark Souls 3 the Undead Settlement is basically just a Bloodborne level <laughs> yeah, yeah, placed, it is Bloodborne, placed isn't it? into yeah. into Dark Souls 3 um, but it, that's not a bad thing because Bloodborne no, is such a not- fantastic game yeah, Bloodborne is great. I think the reason why possibly, I mean, I've not, I've not completed Bloodborne. Um, I've played a lot of it, but um, I have to kind of be in the right sort of frame of mind for all of these um, sort of games. And uh, the, the last six months or so of my life have been pretty hectic, and I've not really been there. So, well, in fact, the last year of my life. Um, so I'm kind of having to sort of force myself to do it a bit. Bloodborne is something I'll return to and complete. But I think what I mean the thing about Bloodborne that maybe means I'll never truly love it in the same way was that again the thing i love about souls the mechanics the flexibility the character building and bloodborne you know the number of weapons and armors and all that is reined right in yeah, uh, and you know that that's fine um it's fine to do it differently but you know as the thing that i love most about the series i do wonder if it just means bloodborne for me will be never quite be the sort of love of, of the Souls series but you know we'll, we'll see fair enough well, do you reckon you've personally defended Dark Souls 2 enough against the rabid fanboys of the series? No. Because <laughs> the right answer is, nothing you ever say will be good enough. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's no defense for that. What I'll sign my death warrant. Well, as long as you're happy about taking it to the Normandy, the Normandy now has its own little game collection. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It should come over. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not allowed. <laughs> no. But we have the final question of the show, and I'm very interested to hear because you've never really spoken throughout this whole conversation. You had a little bit about Sega, but you've never really spoken about specifically a console that you've you've that's really gripped hold of you. A lot of people tend to choose their games orientated around a console that they had a lot of good times with um so the final question is if you could take any console with you not allowed a pc it's the same i'm a a pc player now yeah you see you're not allowed to abandon the console race no you see you can't you can't do that because you could emulate games and then you yeah what if i promise not to no I can't, I can't, I can't follow the Normandy around every day. Well, well I mean, you, you can, you say you can't, you choose not to allow it. You could allow it, obviously, I because could. they're your rules. You I could. could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, I think that speaks volumes about your character, Liam. I have to, I have to keep, I can't have one rule broken for one and then. Ah, of course you can, it's fine. I, I cannot. Rules are made to be broken. Okay, so what would be your second choice? <laughs> What would be your second choice? If you could take any console, home console, okay, <laughs> home console. See, you could take a Steam box with you, essentially, because you can't emulate on a Steam box, but you can only play Steam games. Yeah, Steam box is, you know, poor man's PC. I, mean, I don't think you'd be crazy to go for a Steam box. So taking in, like, uh, into factor that you could have any game from the back catalogue with you as well mm. for this console... What home console would you take with you? I mean, it's such a tough question. Um, exactly. I think there. <laughs> well, yes. For my, I mean, there, in my life, I think there have been four great consoles: the Game Boy, um, which you know I think as, as Simon Parkin described to you in his thing perfectly. Why? I mean, that that beauty, that magic of 
you know, like one of those LCD games, but you can change the cartridge and play something different. And the batteries lasted forever, and it was indestructible, and it was amazing. Um, uh, the SNES, fantastic system with an amazing back catalogue. Yeah. Um, but I, I think realistically, the choice comes down to either PS2 or Xbox 360. Um, PS2's catalogue is probably unrivaled. Um, I think for the 360 is one of the the only consoles. Maybe the Super Nintendo, maybe because that had a lot of great games. But I think the 360 is definitely very close to the PlayStation 2 in terms of large back catalogs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, PS2 and 360 are the, the two great consoles of our time. I, mean, I don't know whether PS4 will go on to do the same or not. I wonder if perhaps it might not in the fullness of time. Because, I'm you not know, sure the... because I don't think games get released as often. Exactly, the market to. shifted. You know, yeah. so much of uh, the the talent in the games industry is now facing elsewhere, away from consoles. That's not to yeah. say that consoles are dying. There's still plenty of fine consoles, but you know, there's so much going on elsewhere. I don't know if we'll ever have a truly great console again. I think. Uh, I mean, my kind of my, the voice in my head is saying, "Yeah, you got to go PS2," but I think I'll go 360 because you know, then I get all the cave games. Yeah, fantastic selection. Uh, you know, you can't really fault the 360 as long as you know it's a later model and not one of the first ones that's going to red ring on you. You get Dark Souls as well. Yeah, exactly. And you don't Scholar. get you don't get Beyond Two Souls. <laughs> I'll live without that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there aren't. I guess if you look at Microsoft's exclusive stuff, there isn't a huge amount that excites me. I've never been a big Forza fan. Um, mm-hmm. Although Forza Horizon 2 I thought was great on Xbox One. I love that. You get Halo, Gears of War. Ah, see, um, I mean, Halo 2 is another contender for the list. You know, the first, for those who weren't into PC gaming at the time, that's the first real taste of kind of online yeah, absolutely. gaming. And that, fantastic. But I mean, you know, generally, I'm not big on, on Halo. But if you just look at the catalogue in general, I mean, you've got what, Red Dead on there as well, Vanquish, yep. Bayonetta, good versions of. You know, you, you can't rival that catalogue. So I think I'll go with 360. Excellent. So, taking the 360 along with your very unique and wonderful eight games today to the Normandy is set and ready. You're ready to go. Awesome. I was going to say bye to my family who I'll never see again. (laughs) That's true. Playing Heavy Rain and not (laughs) trying to cry yourself to sleep will be your challenge. while away the hours thank you so much for joining me today ben it's been absolutely excellent having you on the show i've really enjoyed listening to you talk about these video games oh no thanks for having me it's an absolute honor to be asked and yeah thanks so much no you problem. did such a great job with this podcast it's great oh thank you so much it's wonderful to hear that you enjoy it as well as being banished <laughs> and hopefully you will <laughs> still enjoy episodes in the future in the depth, oh, of course yeah. depths of space absolutely. um so, is there any way people can get a hold of you on the internet so they can shout at you about Dark Souls 2? Uh, and what should they be checking out? <laughs> well, I'm used to being shouted out on Twitter. Um, you know, I think any games journalist, particularly when he dares to write anything positive about women, as I try to, because it's a <laughs> cause I believe in. I'm used to being shouted out on the internet. So, yes, you know, joining absolutely. the chorus there at Twitter, at Ben Parfit. Other than that, you know, it's, it's MCV. You know, MCV is... Um, you know, we I think we bat above our weight a bit. You know, we try and co- trying to compete online whilst putting in a weekly magazine to print every week. It's not easy. Hard working team and uh, yeah, you know. Hopefully. Well, you're doing a superb job because constantly every day I mostly see the first news post is anything that breaks. I see MCV first usually. 
Oh, thanks. <laughs> so you're doing a good job. You're doing a good thank job. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining me. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I've been recently arguing with Ben about why the PlayStation Vita Slim is is not as good as the original. It so, is though, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, no, it's, not. Clearly, it's clearly the better machine. It's, it's not. Doesn't have the OLED. Anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you want to find me on Twitter and you'll see those arguments between me and Ben about the Vita, you can follow me at LiamBME and uh, you can also follow the show at Final Games Show. Um, we're on SoundCloud. We're almost like at 100 followers, which is ridiculous because no one follows anyone on SoundCloud. It's a dead social media platform, really. It's just a good RSS feed. Um, you, we're on SoundCloud, also on iTunes. Please rate and review the show if you enjoy it. It really does help. Um, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can also find us on Patreon still. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash final games. And thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll uh, listen next time, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. The rain has stopped. The sun came out, what a beautiful day to take my family out to the mall. Then we split up, my wife takes Sean to get some shoes for his feet, and that's really sweet. But I got Jason, I got Jason. Oh wait, no, where did he go? He was standing right here. My wife's gonna kill me. Jason, where did he go? You got me searching high and low. My heart is racing. Press X to Jason. I'm walking around. Then I see a clown. And next to him is my little boy. So I bought him a toy. He's selling balloons. Jason wants a red one, so I shell out two single dollar bills. Then Jason runs for the hills, my wife just spotted me. Then I tell her our son is gone, then I'm on the hunt again. Press X to Jason. Jason! That's not my kid at all. Then I walk outside to see Jason crossing the street. How could he have walked that far? Then Jason is killed by a car. Jason.